All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Bearded Gear podcast. Um, this is an exciting episode. I've been talking about this one for a couple of weeks now as I've been planning for this, but I'm joined today by my buddy Chris, who is also known as Renegade EDC or now Renegade Provisions Co., also the Cyborg, if you're one of his close friends. Um, and Chris is not just a jack of all trades, but kind of a master of more than a few. And he's a person who I admire in many ways. When I, I took a shower right before this, and I was trying to think of a list of all the things that I know that you do, Chris. He does beekeeping. He does hank making. He does leather crafting. He does knife designing now. Um, he has a full-time job as like a building inspector or something mm -hmm. crazy. Um, and I'm sure I'm, you live on basically a farm. I'm sure there's a lot that happens there. You're always working with your hands, splitting wood, doing all kinds of manly man stuff. He is probably the busiest person that I know, uh, but also one of the happiest from what I could perceive. And so I'm, I'm really excited to talk to him right now specifically because I have his prototype knife here. We're going to talk a lot about. Um, I have one of his brand new shop mats here that I just bought from him. I have a new collaboration Hank here that we've worked on together. It has my logo on one of his Hanks. I have some other of his Hanks. I have his brand new cup I'll be drinking out of the whole time. So I, I'm surrounded by renegade swag. But Chris, how are you tonight, buddy? I am doing absolutely fantastic. So really, real excited to do this. Uh, been a big fan of the YouTube podcast segments and learning about all the makers. And uh, I've, I've been really excited to to get to join in on that. I'm glad you're here, man. So of the list of things that I said, how many did I miss that are things you actually do in your day to day life? Um, I, I think you hit uh, I think you hit most of them. Uh, like you said, I'm I'm an avid person when it comes to working with my hands. You know, the the office that I'm sitting in now, the the whiskey shelves that are behind me, you know, I've, I've pretty much um, built my house from the ground up and done building, woodworking, uh, pretty much anything that I can possibly get into. It's uh, it's something that I want to learn. So I, I definitely couldn't go through the entire list because it's just it's endless. It's too much. So it's too much. I think what's interesting is like, I don't think of myself as a lazy person. Uh, I no one wants to, I'm sure. But when I think of the things that I accomplish in a day, it's like we're in a group chat together. Shout out to the Grog mm -hmm. because it's the greatest group chat ever. Um, some of my other group chats are going to be really salty that I said that. But um, it's the best. <laughs> it seems like by the time I wake up, which frankly oftentimes is late because I stay up late editing a lot and I get a lot of my like quiet time work done late in the hours of the night. But sometimes I'll wake up like 10, 1030 here in California and I'll wake up to a slew of messages from those who are awake earlier than me, and especially those who are awake earlier and in time zones <laughs> behind me. So you've been awake since the wee hours of the morning, and you're mm -hmm. already three hours ahead of me. And it seems like most of the time, by the time I wake up with just like the video clips of your day that you'll just send of things that are amusing, just the surface level, like things that you find funny in your workday, you've already done more than I typically feel like I've done in like two days. Uh, so for you, how how does time management work in? Because it seems like you're also always adding in new projects. Is that like, how, how do you make it work? Ooh, um, time management's probably one of the most important parts of, of my week. Because like you mentioned at the start, you know, I do 
the the renegade edc with the with the social media i do the renegade provisions now with the the store and the knife design and uh talking to different production companies now trying to to fill out the the products that the store has uh and on top of that having my day job and other side hustles and other businesses and other you know kind of things that i get involved in so <laughs> you know you guys call me a cyborg all the time because it 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 does seem like I probably get a fair amount of work done in a day for my day. And then I talk to other people about my day and they say, well, you, you did the same amount of work by noon that I did Monday through Friday. Right. Um, and, and I've, like I said, time management's the most important part of that. And it's taken a lifetime to, to figure out, you know, how to be efficient with my time. How can I take, um, how can I take task a that I'm doing and meld it with task b and c what can i do at the same time as i'm doing task a without removing from the efficiency and the um the efficacy of that of that task so you know when i'm doing an inspection i may be listening to an audiobook or a a, a skillshare or a master class or or something like that to try to kind of self-develop or or better myself in one way shape or form but i also might be uh, I might have my AirPods in and I might be scheduling my next six clients for the following week, or I might be talking to one of the production companies or the apparel companies that I'm trying to get partnered up with for the provision co. So it, it's really just about multitasking, being diligent with your time. If it's work time, it's work time. If it's play time, it's play time. Um, and not kind of intermingling the, the two of those together, you know, getting distracted by, by something that you shouldn't be. I dig it. So it's a very like focused approach in the moment yes. doing what needs to be done. So yeah. as that, as you were describing that, first of all, I admire it because I am, I, I typically am a person who finds it difficult to focus. Um, oh, there yeah. are times when I get into a flow and I, I admire people who can do it easier, but um, I have a buddy who is probably like two years ago now um, who I talked to a lot. One of my best friends, He's actually one of the friends I'll be staying with in Utah um, next month for my like birthday trip. And uh, like two years ago, he got really into the book. I forget how many hours it is. It's called the something hour work week. I want to say it's like the eight hour work week or something. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that book? Uh, there are a couple of books out there. I, I so, think it so could the, apply to the premise basically from the way he described it to me, I didn't actually end up reading it, which he's gonna be mad if he hears this, but um, I think it was basically like how to, structure your resources over time to work for you to the mm. extent that you can have more of like an overlooking type of role <laughs> overseeing of yeah. your resources, which are now working for you. And you can be involved to the extent that you're still steering the ship, but you don't have to be the one putting in the labor. It's kind of like the gist of what I yes. got from him describing it. Yeah. So yeah when I hear the way that you operate, I think of that as kind of like flying in the face of that type mm -hmm. of idea, because exactly. I can't imagine. Yeah. Even if you got yeah. renegade provisions code to the point where it was making multiple millions of dollars a year, I can't imagine Chris in my mind's image, just taking an eight hour work week and then vacationing the rest. Of, like yeah. I, I can't picture it. So do you think that, is that just the way you're wired? Do you think both ways are healthy or do you think the other way of thinking is kind of skewed? Um, I think that, I think that there are multiple kinds of, of businessmen. 
And I think that there are multiple avenues for for being in business. So if you look at that that book, The Eight Hour Workweek, and they're talking about residual income sources. So income sources that take once you get them set up, they take little to no time investment. It's just kind of like a a virtual ATM machine that's just spitting money out mm-hmm. to you. I would say that there are a fair amount of the of the younger generation, you know, that are looking for like multi-level marketing companies. They're looking for, you know, they're wanting to be a, a stock trader. They're wanting to do uh, drop shipping is, is a huge one that I dabbled in uh, for a little while where you find, you know, website A that sells a product for $2 cheaper than the average price is on Amazon. And then you figure out if your sales, you know, versus shipping can make you a profit. And then you just literally drop ship from Target to Amazon and then Amazon sends it out to a client. You know, there are a bunch of opportunities like that where someone that wants the the rest and relaxation, the freedom, the ability to travel, uh, that they can take that. And then I think that there are business people that are more like me, where I love to have my hands on every project. I love to be doing things. I love to be thinking. I love to be problem solving. And I really, uh, out of everything, I love to be corresponding and connecting, Um, which I think is one of the things that's kind of helped me start up the provision company, you know, Renegade EDC before it it moved over uh, is really those connections, you know, the, the, the personal touches and the packaging and the, um, you know, remembering people that I've dealt with and remembering people that have reached out to me. And that's that's really the type of business person uh, that I am. And that's that was my upbringing in uh, the entrepreneurial sphere was that type of of business. You're hands on. You work from dark to dark. You work seven days a week. You work holidays. You spend time with your family. But every other moment of your waking hour is is work. It's respectful. It uh, it also makes more sense why you're into bees because that's kind of the way that bees operate that's, that's the way the bees work yep <laughs> yeah every waking um, hour those those ladies are in there making honey that's right um all right so there's going to be a, a ton of ground we need to cover this might end up being kind of a marathon one between all the stuff that i'd like to talk about and all the tunnels sure. we're going to end up going down um, but let's start with the gung near because i have the prototype here and just today i shot my full review it turned into a very long video because with it i actually unboxed um the mat and the hank and this cup i've been drinking out of that i just received from you actually yesterday but i was i had just gotten dose number two of the vaccine and was a little bit out of it um i wanted to give it the proper uh, what it deserved that unboxing and so it felt Mm -hmm. cool to do it with it but the gungnir is your first knife Mm-hmm. You've partnered with Riat. They're the OEM who's producing yes. it for you. And so why don't you walk me through, because I already know I, fit, I did my full review today. I know what I think about this knife. And I've heard you talk about it for a long time now, because in the group chat, you've shared quite a bit about it. And through mm-hmm. the process, you've been sharing things. Um, but tell me, why does the Gungnir exist? <laughs> um, I guess like, how and why? What are how how did we get here and, and why did we come to this place? Um, well, I think that the the reason that Gungnir exists really the reason why why a lot of makers or a lot of designers make their their first knife, and it's that I'm an avid knife enthusiast. Uh, I guess you would call it a fan of knives and all things sharp. Uh, but every single 
knife, both custom and production that I received had some kind of inadequacy. You know, something just didn't quite tick the box or the boxes that I needed to. You know, if I found a knife that was was big enough to do the hard tasks that I wanted, it wasn't fidgety. And if I found something that was super, super fidgety, I didn't feel like it was strong enough to do the work that I wanted to. And not throwing shade at any of those type of knife makers, because each person kind of has their own avenue and everybody has their own work. Uh, so, you know, just like I've I've thrown shade at people uh, every now and again, both on YouTube and Instagram, where, you know, they talk about like, why are you using your knife for that? And I'm like, you know what, you can you can be an Amazon box warrior and I have absolutely no issues with that. But I work with my hands and I work hard all day. If I have a tool in my pocket, if it breaks, it breaks. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I want it to do and help me get through my day a little bit more efficiently, a little bit more effortlessly. And, you know, maybe have a little bit of fun at the at the same time. Sure. So that was the reason for designing Gungnir. And funny enough, the way that it started was in our group chat, um, good buddy of ours, MB Wild, uh, brought up in the chat, he goes, you know, I'd really like to, to, to have a couple of guys in here partner up and make a make a grog knife. And as I read that statement, I just pulled out a sheet of paper, and I started sketching away. I'm like, okay, what blade shape would I want? What kind of handle material would I want? Would I want a frame lock? Would I want a liner lock? What, you know, everything that comes together. And within about four hours, five hours, I had a, a rough sketch together that I thought, okay, if I was going to make a first knife, this is what it would be. And I shared that picture with the group, you know, just thinking, oh, it's, it's going to be you know, a conversation piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, MB right away, Ricky, um, Bob, you know, everybody kind of reached out and they were, they were like, that's, that looks nice. Like you, you should probably go a little bit further with that. Uh, and that led to more detailed drawings and more analytical drawings and more numerical based drawings. So I'm drawing mm -hmm. up the angles and the degrees and going into the, the, the minutia of, of the drawing. And it just kind of snowballed, uh, from there. Um, and that that's that's really how it it got started. I love it. So before you had ever designed one, before you'd ever put pencil to paper, it sounds like a lot of your like origin story comes from being a, kind of a collector, right? Yeah, you mm -hmm. had tried a ton of other things, and I know because I've talked to you for quite a while that you've tried a lot of heavy hitters in the knife world. Oh, a lot yeah. of very good very well received designs that a lot of people really like. Um, so would you say that for this knife, you drew any inspiration from other designers, like taking a oh, conglomeration yeah. of things that you liked from other pieces, or was it like you'd learned certain features and you wanted to instill those in something that was already in your head? <laughs> I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I would definitely say that there there are some aspects of Gungnir that pay homage to other makers and and some of my favorite makers. Um, and then there there are certain things that I think no matter how you draw a knife. So I could have never in my life seen a a Vero 
or a Pena or a giant mouse. And if I drew just about anything uh, that came out to a knife that I wanted, it would be similar to uh, any one of those different different makers. Um, but I would say out of out of all of the the knives that I've owned, the there's only probably one that really had an element that I loved so much that I couldn't really envision Gungnir without it. And that would be knives that are designed by Jesper Voxnes. Mm. And I absolutely love his, exactly, uh, <laughs> his utilitarian style blade, his jimping really far forward. I so love that as well. Yeah. I, I absolutely like jimping on a knife. Um, and there's only really one knife that I have without jimping that I love. And it's the, it's the Arius. It's the one knife that I think has been designed that it fits well without uh, jimping. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I think that jimping, especially for my hands that are so calloused, um, without something that really grips my hand, it feels like it's an ice skating rink. You know, mm. I'm I'm wearing plastic gloves, and the and the knife just doesn't stick uh, where it needs to. And with uh, Jesper's knives, I can choke up on that uh, on that bolster up into that choil. I can get my thumb on a nice part of the blade um, without like pulling my thumb way back into my palm and right. cramping this muscle. So like, why would you put? And I, I know everybody does it. But why would you put the jimping for the blade a, right here? For some my, reason, it's just the agreed upon go, spot. My thumb has to go so far back that my hand's now going to cramp. Yeah. So And it's off of the back of the handle to, exactly, to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so having it way up on the blade, you know, somewhere where it makes sense to, at least to me, again, not throwing shade at anybody that, that puts it there because, you know, a lot of people probably like it in that location. Um, but that was the one design element where I thought I, I want a blade that's a nice, you know, durable sheep's foot. I want some geometry that really makes a nice strong tip, a nice thin blade. And I want to be able to choke so far up on it that I could do fine whittling tasks if I wanted to. You know, mm -hmm. I want that control over that hefty piece of steel. And I, I would say that, you know, Giant Mouse and Voxnays are are the two biggest inspirations for that. And I think probably one of the only makers out there that are really working on that forward jimping and doing it very, very well where it's comfortable. Yep. Yeah. I am personally not a fan of jimping in general. I like know. if I were to I paint in a broad stroke, I would say I'd rather have none than have it on everything. Right. If it's like, you can only have yes. every knife as jimping or none do I'll take none. Um, but that's one of the things that I've always specifically remarked on with giant mouse is uh the fact that the jimping is up here to my brain actually makes sense and i've tried mm -hmm. to articulate that before myself where it's like back here i guess if you're in like a defensive saber grip and you want to get as much reach as you can and you're choked mm -hmm. back on the handle like especially if it's a larger handle and you've got regular size hands maybe sure on this knife i could choke all the way back here so <laughs> yeah i, I can knife. extend my reach quite a bit but I can see maybe if you're trying to point the tip out as far as you can with like thrusting force, but if yeah. for an EDC knife, that seems so far down the list of priorities to me, whereas control over the blade, 
for mm -hmm. detailed cuts seems way more important, at least for the way yeah. I use knives. And so the fact that it's placed up here and also there's a certain amount of restraint that I think should come with jimping when it is used mm -hmm. where it doesn't need to be an inch deep and an inch apart. Like it doesn't need to look like the top of a medieval castle or, where, or sharpened like, like a, a sawtooth where it's right, just like it, ripping the skin off your fingers every time you rub up against it. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And so when it's finely spaced jimping, if it's a little sharp, it should be very close together. If it's not sharp, it can be spaced out a little more if it's kind of chamfered, but like find the way to make it a blend between comfortable and usable because i get mm -hmm. it some people have more calloused hands than i do but i i do a fair enough amount of things with my hands i'm not not using my hands ever so it's not like i have yeah. like lotiony baby hands but i just also my thing is i always say i prefer knives with ergos that don't need jimping to make them not fall out of my yes. hand i'd rather have ergos that fit a hand well enough that the knife is locked in because if mm -hmm. you incorporate grooves and chamfers and features into a handle in the right way it can fit a hand right yes but if you make it just super neutral and you use just titanium for the material nothing with grip then like of course you have to add something to artificially hold the hand on it um i just prefer the other way i'd rather have a knife like the arius where these ergos i would not benefit. hand i wouldn't mm -hmm. benefit one iota from any jimping anywhere on this knife. It is locked in because yes. of the way the handle swells, the way that it rests in my palm, like it all comes together. So yeah. I dig that. Yeah, I like that, that knife even is... though you're a fan of jimping, you didn't slather it like mayonnaise all over yes. your otherwise yes. great design. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, with the with the way that the the blade is shaped on, on Gungnir, even if it didn't have the jimping, I would still feel like I had adequate control over the knife. You know, I did try to to contour the shape of the the scale, the handle, so that it, you know, just in your root grip, that it fit very well in the hand. I don't but, even touch the jimping unless I'm choked up yeah, because it's exactly. so far forward and it's yeah. great. <laughs> I'm not slipping it, off this it's knife. It's only going to be used in that that delicate kind of position. You know, if mm -hmm. you're if you're doing some some fine whittling, you're making a feather stick. So that was one of the one of the things that I really thought about with my knife is, you know, how do you appeal to as many crowds as possible without taking away from any of those crowds? So mm -hmm. how would I want to instill a bushcrafter to carry my knife while still instilling someone that, you know, maybe just wants a piece of pocket jewelry? You know, I mm -hmm. want both edges of the spectrum. I want a fun knife that sounds good and looks good and feels good and plays good. But I also want a knife that if you want to take it out in the woods and baton with it, you know, you can do that. And yeah. that that's a rough kind of fence to to walk on because any little bit too much in either direction and you've ruined it for one group of people. Right. And that's there's always going to be that one person that's like, well, I, I like knives that are two and a half inches long, so I'd never buy one that's, you know, got a four and a quarter inch blade. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it does fit the, the the hefty majority of people. And, you know, if you don't want to choke up on the blade, you don't have to. It's comfortable that way. If you do, you can. It's comfortable that way. Yeah. I like that. So the way you just articulated that is interesting to me because I oftentimes say 
I don't like it when designers try to make a knife do too many things. Like when the marketing statement for a knife reads something like, this tactical folder is just at home in the desert of Iraq as it is in your office. Like, stop mm. it. It shouldn't work in both if it's good at either is kind of the way I typically look yes. at it. But I do yes. think there, there can be some shared space of cutting tools that are really, really good in not all, but a couple of arenas, right? Like a really mm. good, we had a, a conversation, maybe we can get in these weeds in a minute, but in the grog one time we talked about what a tactical knife is and that was a really, really interesting oh, yeah. path to go down. But for me, oftentimes still, when I hear tactical knife, whether this is what the term actually means or not, I think fighting knife and like mm. a self-defense or like a tactical fighting knife, like something for somebody in body armor to be carrying to harm other human bodies. Um, it does not typically share the same properties as a bushcrafting knife or an EDC knife or an oh, archer sure. or like they, they cancel each other out in terms of what their focus is. But I like that your approach of like, this knife should be capable of bush bushcrafting and doing some legitimate cutting tasks, but should also be fun for the people who are less focused on use. Mm -hmm. What I hear is you've taken a bushcrafting knife and you've made it pretty enough and fidgety enough, which are things a bushcrafting knife can still be mm -hmm. without trying to make it an EDC knife that has some bushcrafty vibes, which would be the yes. opposite of, I don't know. It's like this interesting way of slicing the cake, but I, I like the way that you've worded mm -hmm. it and put it together because it doesn't like break my rule, but it's a, it's like circumventing it's a stretch of it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. So as you have, gone through the process of taking Gungnir from drawings to working with the OEM to make it 3D and all of that stuff, and then ultimately having prototypes made, what has been like the biggest, I don't know, has there been like a biggest lesson you've learned so far or anything that's been the most interesting to figure out? Because a lot of people these days, myself included, are doing this kind of thing, are starting mm -hmm. these like, micro brands. Um, Nick Shabazz just did a video recently on uh, the the advent of all these brand new tiny little knife designers who are using these OEMs and what the effects could possibly be. But it's a thing that's happening. There's more and more people doing it. And there aren't that many hurdles compared to what there used to be. So oh, I imagine yeah. a lot of people are curious, like, what has the process been like for you as you've taken it to where you are now? Um. I think the the process as it is with anything, the the better product that you have made and the easier that you can express that visually and audibly to somebody, the easier that your process is going to be. Um, and I think in my case, and I don't want this to sound too too much like i'm I'm bragging or that I have like a haughty attitude about myself. Um, but you know, I drew the knife that I wanted the most. And I think that it just so happened to be a knife that a lot of other people were looking for in the same way. So, you know, I, I didn't want to pick any other OEM other than Riot. Um, I've, I've had Wii knives, I've had a number of best tech knives and I've been unhappy with both of them. Um, looking for an American maker is, is near impossible on the OEM um, side of things. And I know that you've talked about that in multiple podcasts where it's like, you know, 
I, I love the American made aspect of it. And I would be more than happy to go a more expensive route to, to do something like that. But at this point in time, there's not anybody in the States that ha- kind of has that capacity. Um, how did um, MB termed uh, Riyadh as kind of like the, the, the magic dwarves in the, in the mountain that are, you know, fusing together the mithril armor. Like there's just some kind of magicry uh, that they have with what they're doing and how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So to take, I think that I might be a, a somewhat of an ex- exception because I do have uh, schooling in engineering. That was one of the things that I went to school with uh, for was civil engineering. So I have an understanding of of mathematics and ratios and angles and how things fit together and how this metal grinds up against this metal. And, you know, that that's definitely an, an assisting factor uh, for me, but, you know, going t- straight to Riyadh and not thinking about anybody else, I think was also a huge help because, mm-hmm. uh, when they produced the prototypes, the, the prototypes look absolutely amazing. Like everything functioned exactly the way that I would hope it would. Everything moved easily. Um, the, <laughs> I mean, you're taking a giant piece of M390 steel and you just touch that flipper tab and it just shing. Plus the I mean, sound it makes when it does it. Oh, it's the carol of the bells, you know, every every single time. Um, there, There is some form of wizardry there where they they took my, my 2D design, you know, my, the graphic that I made for it with all of the, um, all the analytical information they converted it to 3d and there were a couple of miscommunications um that occurred you know the the feral uh fuller the fuller on the blade the ferret um, yeah yeah the ferret um <laughs> that was supposed to be cut through from day one right uh, my original design my 2d drawing had a had that as a as a full cut through with a stair step jimping uh that kind of cascaded it down to like a pseudo mayan pyramid so that mm. square look up to the top, um, you know, for texture and somehow that got miscommunicated and I didn't catch that on the 3D drawings that they sent in. Um, I think what's amazing probably... is that it's still middle finger deploys even without yes. that. Yes. Um, out of everything um, that you would expect to find, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned is you know, I, I looked at the 3D drawing when it came in and I was just so overwhelmed with excitement about, you know, the progress that it had made up to that point. It, you know, once you once you're getting your drawings back, you've already made your deposit. You've already bought your prototypes. You've already paid for them to convert the, the drawing for you. So you've made an investment, but you don't have anything in your hand yet. And it's like, OK, a month goes by. A second month goes by. You're approaching that third month going by and you're like, OK, um, you know, what's, what's going on here? That's where um, I am right now. <laughs> right now. Yep. And, and I was there too. That, um, but I, I really wish now that I would have curbed my excitement just a little bit to more meticulously go over, you know, like to turn that three-dimensional drawing over, over and over and over and over again, and just kind of look at everything and measure everything because I could have avoided that. I could have had mm instead of having a prototype that needed a couple alterations, I could have had a basically a production prototype that was ready to go. And I could have just been emailing them like, this is the date of my pre-order. These are the color scales that I want. This is the 
you know, whatever and, and been done. But now I'm at the point where, you know, everybody's gone through and tested it. People have given their feedback. I've had, <laughs> I've had my little bit of feedback with the knife. Uh, I think mm -hmm. I've had less time than everybody else has with it, unfortunately. Right. Um, but that would probably be the biggest thing uh, that I've, that I've learned is just to, to curb that excitement take and time. take, take my time because that, that's a mistake that could have saved me a lot of, a lot of time and effort could have gave me a closer production sample uh, than just, you know, a prototype. Yeah. One of the things that my partner, Ryan and I, um, I have a wife, not that kind of partner, but um, Ryan, who I've partnered with on Left Concepts, one of the things that like each time we have are regularly scheduled at this point, little video calls where we'll chat about everything going on and progress. And um, one of the things we always try to remind each other is like, look, there's no rush. <laughs> mm -hmm. this, this is our first one. You only get one chance at a first impression, right? And so yes. the as soon as our first knife comes out, then there's no going back. So let's make sure that like each step of the way, we're really, we're not just like, like we're not just going to sign a contract. We're not just going to submit a design. We're not just going to okay a revision. We're going to like talk about it. If it takes an extra day to get this step done, then we need to make sure that we're okay with it happening because, oh, and it's sure. so frustrating to like, to take that time because of course, both of us already want all of our knives to be delivered to everybody. And we mm -hmm. don't even have prototypes yet. Like the excitement is through the roof, but yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to apply the like step-by-step -step yeah. of it. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. It's, it's, um, I'm I'm not an incredibly excitable person, but the the knife design has been an incredible incredibly exciting and overly exciting e experience. So that's this this first timer. I think that the uh, they've agreed to make my my changes. Um, there's not any issues with it. So the the production models will go out with a with a full cutout fuller that's just a little bit enlarged, and there are a couple other design changes uh, that are going through, but you know, it's going to ship out and be even better than the, the sample is. And, and I thought the samples were, were pretty darn good. It could be a little worse than the sample is and I'd pay what you're asking for <laughs> yeah. to be fair. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, pricing on the, on the gun near was, was a big topic of discussion, uh, both in my, my inner conversations with myself and in my conversations with, with Riot. Because you look at knives that are in that kind of size category and made by Riot or a very similar maker, and you're not at the 425 price point, you're at the, the 500, 550. Some of the, the more well-known names are you know, pushing 600 plus, yep. even with the, with the Riot production knives. And you know, the only difference there, I wanted to keep my price as low as as possible you know i want to i've always been the type of person where i want to overproduce something and kind of sell it at a at a cheaper price so i want people mm -hmm. to get one of those things where they feel that they got a fantastic deal and that they got more than what they they paid for that's always been something that i've strived for both in my inspection company and with uh, with my handkerchiefs and with my beard bombs and everything else. Like I try to offer it as, as cheap as I possibly can. And could I maybe make, you know, eight, 10% profit more 
on it, yeah, I, I probably could, but it would also end up in less people's hands. I'd have less forged connections uh, from that. But uh, I, I wrestled with the price for, for a long time because of course, yeah. you know, companies want you to sell it at a certain price because, you know, that's, that's what they do for, for a living is they make knives and they have to be, um, you know, good quality. They have to have that value uh, there to them. But then again, you also have to make a little bit of a profit so that it's actually worthwhile to spend the, the countless hours that it, right. and I mean, countless hours that it takes to, to and bring you do have to invest monetarily to get it to become a real thing too. Like, oh, yeah. even if you're doing a pre-order, there's money that comes before that and a lot yes. of time. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I didn't realize is how expensive it is to put your knife in a box and send it to somebody. So, um, you know, we all think about when we buy a knife, you know, we, I, I bought this knife for 300 bucks and this knife is worth 300 bucks, but we don't think about the, the $15 case, the 60 cent, um, certificate of origination card yeah. that comes with it. The 60 cent stickers. Yeah. 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 The stickers. Uh, and then you have like shipping and handling. So even if you use flat rate, you want to insure every package or I'm, yeah. I'm thinking from my personal experience with handkerchiefs and how many the mail system has lost. I'm like, I can't think of sending out a $425 knife and not paying for shipping. Well, um, for insurance, insurance yeah. not shipping. Um, well, it's like $5 and 65 cents or something per knife just to insure it on top like of that's, the dollars and some odd cents for the yeah flat rate. Yeah. So, you know, those were, those were numbers that I didn't consider a whole lot of at the beginning, mm -hmm. but now as I'm getting closer and closer to the, the pre-order time, you really got to crunch them, you know, yep. what's this going, what's this going, what's that going. And then you also have to have that coefficient, that loss coefficient. So what happens if the postal service does lose something and it takes like two months to ever get your insurance money back, if you mm -hmm. ever get your insurance money back. Well, you have to make sure that you have extra knives to send out if there's a problem with that. You have to make sure that you have extra money to buy those extra knives if something happens to to anything. And very, very quickly, if you're selling the knives for what I would see as a as a reasonable amount, your profit margin just disappears in, in a snap yeah. of a finger. It's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do my knife sale and then I'll go out to McDonald's to celebrate with my profits. Yeah. No, so that's one of those interesting things. Like, I like that you said a lot of the discussion of how to price it was internal. Um, mm -hmm. That's one of those things that I always, when I decided, before I'd even put pencil to paper or like decided with Ryan that he and I were going to partner on a project, but just when I'd really had the thought of like, I would like to design a knife privately in my own mm -hmm. head, it was like, in what range was kind of the question that I thought, because I have like the ideal range that I kind of play in, but that's also shifting over time. Like when I started in the hobby, I didn't spend more than a hundred bucks on a knife and then it became 200 bucks and then it became mm -hmm. 400 and it was 500 and it was 600. Now I've had some knives that are at, at four digits, which is crazy, yeah. but that's just very recent. Right. And so for me, it was like, would I want to create something that is my ultimate knife that is above $500 and can have all of the options that I could potentially want? 
or do I want something that's in like my ultimate like user range, like the nice knives that I'm willing to beat on kind of range. Mm -hmm. Like is it three, 400 bucks or, or do I want it to be budget to make sure that everybody who I know and love will actually be able to buy one, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and there's, there's this struggle at least that I had where it's like, I don't know, I kind of would love to create a budget knife at some point that can be accessible to a lot of people, but that's assuming people would even want it, you know? Like, mm -hmm. So ultimately where I landed and agreed upon with Ryan was to make it kind of in that range where you can get a lot of bang for your buck and you can have like, you can get the materials you want, the, the, the type of build that you want, but without being like fancy and exorbitant, like it's a mm -hmm. worker, but it's really, really nice for a worker kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm happy with coming to that, but it's interesting to hear how other makers kind of decide what range they want to play in because there are segments to this industry, right? And mm -hmm. there's some makers that play in multiple bolt, but a lot of them kind of stay in a lane of a certain range. So do you think as you come out with like future designs, I'm assuming that's in your future, mm -hmm. will you play in different ranges or is this kind of your happy spot about where you are with Gungnir? Like this type of build, is that a renegade build or is there? Uh, I think I'm going to go into, into different ranges. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't ever like the thought of only providing a product that fits one demographic of, yeah. of people. And I don't want to only have a 400 plus dollar knife and then make anybody that doesn't, you know, maybe they love my design language. Uh, and I've, you know, I've got a couple of Instagram messages where, where people are like, please, please make a smaller version of that, you know, in this price range, because we I've love to about design that in my knife, but it's, it's a little bit too big. Uh, some people it's like, you know what, I would love to buy it, but the, the economy for me isn't that great. So it's not something that's, that's achievable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to leave that, that group of people out. So there, there are, um, to, to be a little bit of a spoiler alert, I do have, uh, four 2d drawings, um, ready to go into, into the 3d phase. And I'm, I'm kind of waiting for the, the success of the first pre-order um, before I invest the money into the, the second prototype, um, which I'm going to get a few more of so that I can keep my own prototype in my pocket for yeah. more than four days. Um, but the, the next knife that's coming out, you know, it may be a little bit lower on the price index and, you know, it might open it up to a few more people. Uh, and then I think that it'll still be, you know, it's still going to be Riot made. It's still going to be the same materials. It's still going to be the same kind of design language. So the people that it appealed to for the Gungnir audience are going to like the the next one. Yeah. And the people that like the next one, that might be their their thing to be like, you know what, maybe I will try the Gungnir on the next drop um, that it does. Or, you know, if there are any available, you know, maybe pick it up on the secondary or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd, I'd like to have that that full spectrum of knives. Um, I think that probably the low end of the spectrum is probably going to be in like the 250 uh, to $300 range. So I don't think it's going to be going much 
underneath that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's just going to be the thing that I'm going to have to stick into with on a rehab you know, build my, that doesn't that my go much scales, lower than that. Yeah. The, the titanium frame with the bolster and the M390 blades. I don't think that you're going to be able to go much under. I, I don't think that 250 is going to be very easy to achieve if at all. But, you know, the $300 realm is um, is probably where the next one will be. Yeah. And name me more than two Riyadh built knives that are under $250. I I, I can't think of <laughs> one, actually. Yeah, so I mean, the, probably the closest thing to it would be the would be the Pena's at like what two ninety eight. At two fifty, there was this Urban EDC Supply Vox F five point five, which is a React build. Yeah, um, and this is specs wise really similar to what my knife is going to be, smaller but um, similar, right? Mm-hmm. Nested titanium liners and three ninety blade, that kind of thing. But yeah, other than that knife. Yeah, there's a few under yeah. 300, but that one I was surprised that they were at that price point being a React mm-hmm. build knife. Um, yeah, I but imagine Urban EDC supply on it, and it's yeah, it's 300, 300 plus. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure they probably their order size, the quantity <laughs> was much larger than the the MOQ that we're ordering on because oh, yeah. it's our first time. Um, okay, so we've talked a good amount about the Gungnir to put kind of a bow on that i'm sure it'll probably pop back up we'll talk about that knife a lot more but before we move on from it and start talking other things why the name gung near um i have always been a tremendous fan of mythology of of all kinds egyptian celtic norse um greek it it's just always been something that that really truly interests me and I think that I think that the language of Gungnir, when I first drew it out, one of the first images that popped into my head was was Odin riding his eight-legged steed with his with his spear in hand. And uh, yes, <laughs> sitting sitting right next to me on my bookshelf is uh, is probably like eight or nine books on on Norse mythology. Um, and this book was sitting right beside me uh, at the time of, of drawing that. And it could have played some into uh, the naming. Um, but that, that was the image that I got uh, when, the, when the pencil hit the paper. And then as I continued to, to think out the brand and talk about the brand, you know, especially in the, in the Grog group, uh, a couple of guys had mentioned you know, like that's, that's super fitting. Uh, the name is super fitting for the knife. And that really lends itself to you, you know, making all kinds of things in the future. You know, if you make more knives, Norse mythology has an immense amount of weapons. It has an immense amount of characters, um, gods and demigods and realms. Yeah. You know, there's, there's such a, a perplexity there. If you're looking for proper there. nouns in, in that world, there's a, yeah. there's a lot of them to draw from. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, going from Gungnir into the other designs, the names just kind of come pretty effortlessly um, because of that realm. So one, it's a huge interest to me. Uh, it's got, I've got Celtic uh, Norse components in my Provision Co. Um, imagery. Uh, it's always just been something that's, that's incredibly uh, Skull. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and while you're you're drinking out of my cup, 
I'm going to drink something that comes from. Yes. <laughs> Today, I finally, I picked up a growler of mate with juice and carbs in it. I've done this thing where I've gotten past 10 pounds that I've shed. And now that I passed that faster than I intended to, I have 10 more to lose, but I'm going to give myself the remaining like three weeks to do it. And so I'm going to mm -hmm. add my morning mate carbs back in <laughs> and possibly like I might step it up to instead of under 50, under a hundred grams of carbs today and I'm or each day. And then I'm going to add strength training. So long story short, I got go. a, a real mate today <laughs> after a couple of weeks of just drinking the plain tap unsweetened, which is still good, but like, man, I missed my good mate that mm. I got one. I got the passion fruit one in a cup today as I was there. So good. Um, all right. So we've, I think kind of put a bow on Gungnir for now, mm -hmm. but there's a lot more that you do. So let's talk Hanks for a second, because when I met you, I feel like Hanks were really like your thing. That was, that was the, the only thing was the product that you were doing. Yeah. Right. So yep. the first Hank I got from you is actually in my fanny pack. That's where it lives. But I have the Mandalorian Hank, which mm -hmm. every time I share a picture of or show in a video or anything, people always ask me where they can get one. Um, and then I got this one, which is like a tweed type of material, polyester. I don't know. What do you call this? Uh, it's wool. It's like old man smoking jacket mm -hmm. material. Um, and this night, this Hank is actually probably the only Hank that I've ever carried more than five times in a pocket. And it's been like 30 times. Like I carry this Hank kind of a lot. It's the go-to one that I'll actually put in pocket on the days where I want to carry one. Um, and then our mutual friend, MB Wild, sent me this one with the Gungnir when he sent it to mm -hmm. me, which is super, super nice of him. So this is his artwork. And then today I unboxed on my Gungnir full review, the collaboration Hank between you oh, and I. Yeah. So this one is my logo. This is a pre-production one, so it's sized a little bit bigger than mm -hmm. the, the logo is sized a little bit bigger than it will be ultimately. So on the final ones, the logo will sit within the stitching. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is my logo, which we're collaborating on. So take me from the beginning of Hanks. How did that start and why, and <laughs> how did we get here? It's, it's literally the exact same story as the knife. Um, I, I've got an EDC drawer of probably like 70 or 80 handkerchiefs because I've, I've carried a handkerchief in my pocket since probably like 11 or 12 years old. Um, my grandfather always carried those old like Paisley, uh, you yeah. buy them in a pack of like 10 for 10 bucks or something. So I've always, always had issues with, with allergies and then working in the construction and heavy equipment trades that you have allergies like that. You're just sneezing and snotting all over the place all year round. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started carrying handkerchiefs and then I started moving from it just being a piece of utility to kind of something like everything else. Your watch explains who you are and your knife explains and your leather explains who you are. Uh, the handkerchief kind of melted into that as well. Uh, I found Hanks by Hank um, years and years ago, probably about the same time that he first first started, like the handkerchiefs just started popping up on Etsy and I started buying them, you know, Super Mario and, you know, whatever he put out that had interests to me. Um, mm -hmm. 
and it continued and continued and continued. And then the pandemic happened uh, last year. And being a an entrepreneurial type of, of person, I just thought, okay, well, what's going to happen to the housing market? What's going to happen to my primary business as as these lockdowns start rolling out, as things get crazier and crazier, like where might my revenue stream go? Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, what can I do if I'm locked down at home? What's something that other people might be able to buy? What's something that's within my power to do within my wheelhouse? And being part of the, the EDC community at that time, I thought, well, okay, I don't see very many American makers doing these microfiber backed handkerchiefs. You know, mm-hmm. like there were a couple over in, in the UK and Germany, I think one in Australia, and I think there might have been one in the US at that point in time, at least that I was aware of. Uh, so I thought, well, I can I can make a go at that. So pulled out my wife's sewing machine, kind of retaught myself how to sew, how to cut the fabric, how to, you know, every detail of it, try to perfect it as much as possible. Um, posted a couple things to Instagram. It just happened to be cloth types that people liked. Uh, of course, the DMs start rolling in as soon as mm-hmm. somebody sees something that's that's Star Wars or Embrace the Wild or whatever it was. Um, and that it just steamrolled from there. Mm-hmm. I went from I went from making a batch of 12 Hanks and taking a couple of weeks to sell those to a couple of weeks later making batches of like 30 and 40 handkerchiefs and selling those out in a week to then doing the custom printing and making 40 handkerchiefs posting them on sundays and selling out within five to seven minutes Mm -hmm. Uh, and it just continued to grow and grow and grow and grow until it was getting to a point where i thought i (laughs) i can't keep up anymore and i haven't I haven't kept up for for a few months, so that'll be changing here, here pretty soon. But all I've been able to keep up with is my kind of like corporate accounts um, mm-hmm. that want their branded stuff. Yeah. So the microfiber backing is something that it it's still not everywhere. Other people are definitely doing it, but you have a couple of features that for me are unique: the leather tags and the way they're done are really nice with your logo and branding on them. I love that. Sorry, am I even in frame? Um, Your your packaging is another thing we need to talk about, though. Um, So the first tank I got from you had, like, the leather wax seal on it. It was wrapped nicely in paper, I think. I did an unboxing of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And each one has been, like, a little bit different but still incredibly nice and incorporates a lot of the same things. Like they'll have like twine wrapped around them with a wax seal or something, or they'll be in a cool baggie. And there's always seemingly this wax seal, which I really, really like. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also, every time I've put in a handwritten note, which there's a few small makers who do that kind of thing, but it's always been like, not just thanks for your support and then your signature. It's like something that ties me to the note. Like, Mm -hmm. so that I know it's from you to me and it's not just, you took a random note that you had signed and put it in. Like there's these little things that add up. Um, And then on top of all that, the artwork that you source or use, you're like purchasing that artwork, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's the difference between that process and then just using like, are, are most people just using like public use images or how does that? 
Um, I think that there's a mix of I think there's a mix of both. Uh, so there there aren't a ton of people doing the custom imagery, you know. Period. I think a predominance of the people that are making handkerchiefs, you know, like Hanks by Hank and and a few others, they're going to places like Joanne Fabric. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's how I started out. You know, I started out going to Joanne Fabrics and you find a cool print. You make a bunch a cool out of print, it. Print and I I buy ten yards of it and I I bring it home. I put it on the cutter and I make I make handkerchiefs. I'd say that that's the majority of. Can I say real real fast before you mm -hmm. go any further? And I want you to remember where you are. But my wife and my sister in law do this thing where they call Joanne Fabric Joanne's. They say we're going to mm -hmm. go to Joanne's and Joanne's. I. I lived in Michigan for a little bit where everyone puts an S on the end of everything. Like use guys going down to Myers. That's yeah. not, none of those have S's. Um, guys does, I guess. But so me and my brother always make fun of them because we're like, <laughs> Joanne's isn't a place. That's not a real thing. That's not yeah. a store that exists. Do you want to go to Joanne fabrics? Yeah. Like, Joanne but fabrics. it's, it's like a running. So yeah. I really, really appreciate that. You said Joanne. Yeah, you didn't say I go to Joanne's because it yeah. validates that I'm correct. I, my I wife speak is with wrong. proper grammar a hefty amount of the time. Not all I of love it, but it. Hefty. Good, good. Okay, carry on. Sorry. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I started out was the the Joanne fabric. Um, just the the standard licensed prints, making them, just trying to choose things that that people liked. And the the turning point for me with that type of handkerchief was really Christmas of, of last year. So mm -hmm. I think it was start of November uh, last year. I remember posting 126 different fabrics available. And this was probably one of the dumbest things that I have ever done in my Renegade provisions or Renegade EDC to date. This is the dumbest thing that I've done. So again, not thinking that people are going to go gangbusters on this and just buy up everything. I thought, okay, I have all this fabric. I'm going to do a buy four, get 10% off or 20% off, something like that deal. And that way, you know, I'll say that everything will be shipped out by Christmas. And, you know, maybe I'll make a couple of hundred handkerchiefs this month. Out of those 126 patterns, each pattern, I had the fabric to make 24 handkerchiefs. Mm -hmm. So I posted all of that on my Etsy. So each pattern had 24, which I won't do the math, but that's, that's, that's a, a buttload of handkerchiefs. And I had a number of patterns sell out and a hefty amount of them get pretty close to sold out. And I still had a certain amount of time to make them to get them out by by Christmas. And yep. I lost count at how many um, all-nighters that I did. And I think that right going up, um, I think the 16th, the 16th or the 17th of December was the cutoff for two-day shipping for it to make it there by Christmas. And then, of course, we had all the COVID issues that were slowing down shipping and all of that. But there was a time right there in the home stretch where it was like, I thought, okay, I've got two days of handkerchief making left to go. I'm going to pull two all-nighters, one back-to-back, -back, and do my day job. Right. So no naps, no rest, relaxation. Plus, your day anything. job was not slow at the time. No, it. <laughs> I, 
I braced for the worst and thankfully the best happened. You know, my, my day job, you know, it, it went up in business last year during the pandemics. Like everybody wanted to buy a house while they were out of work, which is right. the market that I live in sense. on like the most recent Zillow report is up 10% over last year, full yes. 10%. Yes. It's insane. Um, so, you know, I had my, I had my wife helping me. We had a few shipping issues, you know, from lack of sleep and just like Bob knows all brain, too well, brain going, <laughs> Bob, Bob knows all too well. Good old bib. And out of, out of everything, you know, I, I worked extremely hard. I got all of the handkerchiefs out, I think, except for Bob's and almost <laughs> all of them arrived by Christmas, except for the ones I had a number of people buy from, uh, the UK and Germany. I had a guy wanted Christmas gifts from Australia. I think he ordered like eight handkerchiefs to go to Australia, Sweden, you know, all over the place. Those ones, they, they didn't have a chance to make it by, by Christmas, but everybody in the States, uh, made it the few shipping issues that I had. I had one where I messed up the shipping paid for overnight and somehow it still arrived on December 23rd. So still got there by, by Christmas. So everybody was happy, even though I messed up a few things. Um, it cost me quite a bit of my profit to make things right. Uh, yeah. And I learned a, a valuable lesson, you know. So ever <laughs> since then, and one of the reasons why the shop looks so sparse right now, is I don't post anything on my shop that isn't already made. So, mm. you know, I got rid of the, the custom stitching, both color and type of stitching. Um, whatever I stitch on that pattern, that's, that's it. Um, uh, but whatever's on the website is made, prepped, ready to go. All I have to do is print labels, write the letter, package it, send it off. Um, yeah. that, that was a huge learning experience for me. I bet. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine knowing you, there's probably also not any way like that you would want Hank making to become your primary thing that you do right do you do you ever see it getting bigger than where it's at right now um, or? i i do see it getting bigger uh in in some way shape or form and there's there have been things that i've tried to do you know i've looked at, at hiring people um to to sew handkerchiefs and do different things you know that i might not have time uh to get to to try to keep you know numbers coming out products coming out but we have this unfortunate kind of vortex right now where people are getting paid so much money to stay home that as a business person that wants to make, you know, still a little bit of profit, I need to make a, a profit and to keep the company going. Um, at this point, you almost can't pay somebody enough to, to get them in unless they have a, a willingness to just want to come and do that. And mm -hmm. it seems like my rural area, is kind of having an issue with that that shortage of labor but mm -hmm. plethora of jobs um kind of of issue um but one day i definitely see um expanding you know maybe having some employees that do sewing and employees that do shipping um but there's always that part of me that kind of doesn't want to let go either you know yeah. the like i mentioned before the connection is one of the biggest reasons why I do the things in business that I, that I do writing out those notes to somebody, you know, writing it out to, to you and saying, you know, how much I appreciate the, the support and, you know, how much I've enjoyed providing products and 
growing friendships. Um, I've, I've had a couple of people message me after receiving their letters and, you know, they may have commented on my Instagram post nine months ago, and then they just bought a handkerchief two weeks ago. And in the note, I said, I kind of always figured that you'd be purchasing this after you made that comment on my post back in July of last year. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it, you know, you know, some kind of like, okay, stalker, take it easy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And just let everybody know I'm not a stalker. Um, (laughs) I've just got like, not an eidetic memory, but, but relatively close to it. I steel trap up there. Yeah, I do remember quite a lot. So when somebody like reaches out to me, somebody talks to me, I tend to, uh, I tend to remember it. And then when they, when the order comes through and I see the name, typically it'll jog that little. I wish I was better at that. (laughs) I'm not. Yeah, uh, a lot of people, I think a lot of people do. And it's frustrating for some of the people close to me that I have, I have such a good memory. Yeah, I feel like my memory can be jogged fairly easily. Like if I've spoken to somebody before and they say, remember we talked like then I'll, I can then not just surface level remember, but I can remember details of what a conversation was, stuff like that most of the time, but to just like passively recall based on just one little kernel tidbit, like a name. Yeah. Nope. (laughs) You could tell me their Instagram handle, which is probably what they talked to me under. And I still wouldn't know. (laughs) It's, It's impressive. Um, Okay, so Hanks, like we've covered that ground pretty well. I've said yep. in each of my, like, I did yeah, one review those, of your Hank. I think. For yeah, those people wanting Mando, it is, uh, it is coming back along with a couple of other, uh, a couple other Star Wars patterns that'll be very, very interesting. I love it. Yeah, I've said, I think the Mando one was the one that I did, like, an actual review on. And then mm-hmm. each of the other ones I've shown as I've gotten them. But I... I another review of your Hank would be me saying again that I love it. Um, but yeah, they're to me, they're just, I, until your Hanks, I had never purchased a Hank. I'd been mm-hmm. given a number of them having been in the community, like in some random giveaways, like they were just included. Or when I started the channel, a couple of people, Hey, can I send you just for you to show on the chat? Like, sure. Yeah. Send me one. Mm-hmm. Um, but even now, like, I don't know. I'm at this point with products like that, Hanks and like leather stuff where it's like, I've got a couple of friends who are the makers in that space that I really like. And it's not to say that other makers aren't capable of making things I would love, but like, I don't need someone else to send me Hanks, even though I'm sure there are probably some great people who do it. Like I'm sure you'll come out with some new designs here and there that I will think are cool enough and interesting enough that I'm going to want one. I'm going to carry the one with my logo on it a lot, even though that might make me seem like a pretentious douche to carry my own logo around. Yeah, I don't um, think so. <laughs> but like, I don't have like, I'm just not that much of a Hank guy to begin with. And so much of my focus is on knives. And mm-hmm. if I focus on other things, it's usually just for a little bit until I find something really good. Knives is the one thing that I like keep digging at. And so the idea of like going down a rabbit hole of finding more Hank makers or, for more leather makers like it just doesn't do much for me but i love having friends like you who do something like that are specialized at it and Mm. make things that resonate with me because i do appreciate the products i'm just not like like you said you have a drawer of freaking 70 or whatever hanks yeah that's not me that's not even counting that's non-me hanks like that's handkerchiefs from um from everybody else because i do try 
uh, I like to own a little bit from from everybody. So every time I see a new Hank maker on, um, you know, like the best damn EDC Discord, or I see somebody's post on on Instagram uh, catches my eye, like I'll buy one of their handkerchiefs because I want to support other makers uh, just as much as I like being supported. Uh, and and really thoroughly believe that there's enough business out there for for all of us to be um, taken care of. You know, there are a lot yeah. of people out there that like handkerchiefs, but I've received some really some really nice handkerchiefs, and I've received some you know kind of off uh, handkerchiefs. Some people are brand new at making it. Some people are even more veteran uh, than I am, and I'd I'd still say I'm pretty well rookie. Um, even though I've really invested a lot of time and energy and money, you know, like I've got some of the better equipment and, and things like that. But uh, it, it's really interesting to see the the diversity of, yeah. of makers and, and what they do. So would you say that the Hanks naturally led to leather or is leather like a different thing? Cause I've got, Here, I'll move my um, leather is leather, something that I did in the past. Um, very long time ago, I did hand tooling of leather. Oh yeah. So this is my brand new one. You've got my logo down in this corner in mm -hmm. the slot for while you're working on knives. It's like a topographical nice overlay pattern, which I oh, freaking yeah. love, which will also and be your, the background pattern on this is yep, topo as your well. favorite green. Yep. And then the back is this really nice brown. I said in my unboxing, <laughs> I was like, I don't know leathers. I'm a leather idiot. Yeah. So I don't know what the differences between leathers are. I can tell this feels really nice to me, but what leather do you use back and forth? Uh, so that is a American bison on both sides. Uh, and American bison yeah. is really what I've. Cause cow's uh, not good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a little bit different. Um, I think that the, the Buffalo feels, I guess I can't even really put a put a finite answer on what I think it is when I when I feel cow leather or um, calf leather, kangaroo leather, bison leather. They they all definitely have a different textile feel. There's a different haptic response that you get from your fingers. Hmm. And when it came to trying out all of them, buffalo was the one where. Like I grabbed a hold of this whole hide, which is like 50 pounds of, of leather in mm -hmm. this huge thing. Um, when I grabbed a hold of the, the Buffalo hide, there was just that kind of Eureka moment when, mm -hmm. when I felt it, you know, just like picking up a grail knife or a knife that you, you know, maybe didn't expect to be phenomenal. And then it turns out to really, really be Buffalo was that for me. And the the buffalo that's in uh, your mat and all the mats that i'm making is also free range buffalo mm. and i'm not like a a, a pita throw blood on people naturally because i'm making making stuff out of leather um, <laughs> but but when i don't I think, think anyone out, who knows you at all would would say pita even i don't think anyone who's even listened to an hour and 10 minutes of this would have deducted that you're a super yeah. pita type of guy but yeah it takes a whole like five seconds on my instagram profile <laughs> before you see like a three pound tomahawk steak all of your traeger constant yes. just traeger porn going on yeah um but there, there's some aspect of you know like buying a cage-free egg you know 
I Taste think the fruit. same thing when I come uh, to leather and I think, you know, a free range Buffalo, it has, it has character. It has complexity where a lot of, you know, somebody that's making, if they made a service mat out of Horween leather, that leather is absolutely perfect. There isn't, mm. there isn't an imperfection on it. There's not a scar. There's not a scrape. There's not a sore. There's not a brand. There is nothing. It's just a piece of absolutely perfect leather. When it comes to the bison, and you can really see it on the back of yours, um, the green doesn't show it so much, but on the back, you can see all of these dark colorations. You can see, you can see the scrapes, you can see the scars, you can see where, you know, maybe that buffalo got bitten by a horsefly, uh, and you can you can see the mark that came up. And some people will say, you know, well, that's just shitty leather. Um, but I think a lot of other people will see that character. You know, you're you're seeing the life of the animal. You're seeing the enjoyment of running, you know, free range, so to speak. You know, there there's a certain kind of iconography that goes with that for me. When I'm it definitely feels like it has kind of a heft to it as well, which yes. for being a work that makes a ton of sense because I'd imagine if you're making like fine little wallets like especially like a thin front pocket wallet or mm -hmm. something like that the thickness might take away from some of yeah. the, the thin profile but for something like a work mat the goal is for it to be incredibly robust right and this mm -hmm. thing is rigid like it's yeah there's no plastic inside of here to keep it from folding this mm -hmm. is just thick dense leather and i think for the purpose of what it is I mean, I already have, uh, I've told you, I've got the B Weiss one that I really mm -hmm. like. I don't know what leather he uses either, but I enjoy that, Matt. It's great. It's served me well. I've used it in a ton of disassemblies on the channel, um, but they do feel different from one another. And mm -hmm. especially the green leather on top has like, I don't know if it's because it's the different side of the leather, but it has like this, I don't know. It, I almost want to define it as like scaly, but there's this fine mm -hmm. grain. Um, like almost porous texture to it that gives yeah. it like this grip that I'm really stoked is on the surface of this because mm -hmm. for a surface to work on, it seems a little bit less slick than like yes. the bottom side does. And I don't know, it just seems really well thought out considering you've been making these for what, a month? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably been about a month and a half, two months that I've been, I've been making the mats. Um, but like I said, leather, Leather was something that I did back in back in high school, early college. It was one of those kind of like fly by night hobbies where I bought a few hand tools. Um, I have a bad tendency of wanting to do a new hobby, buying a whole bunch of stuff to do it, learning enough to be, I would say, better than average, and then losing interest and in moving on to the next thing that I want to learn. Mm. Uh, and it's it's been one of those kind of like ADHD kind of plagues on my life and also a blessing so <laughs> again my my uh, friends typically poke fun at me because you can probably literally bring up any kind of topic and i will have either done it or know somebody directly that's done right. it so you've got a story for it at the least exactly and a lot of people think well that's like the one upper kind of mentality you know any story that you've got i've got one to match it um, but it's just because I've had that interest in the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of trades and, and understanding how to do things that seems like a I, side effect too, of being busy. Like 
Uh, oh, yeah. Being a very not lazy person, you actually have more experiences than somebody who, like, if you sit inside and play video games all day, you have a lot of stories about video games. But if yes. you're somebody who's curious and also can't sit still, then you have a lot of experiences in the real about world. Literally everything else. <laughs> not sitting still means you're constantly yeah. going places. So I like that. Yeah. Um, but the, the leather is something that I enjoyed back then, and it just seemed like a natural progression to, to go into from the handkerchiefs. It's like, you know, what else do I want to, to make? Now I'm going from Renegade EDC to Renegade Provisions Company. Well, Provisions Company can't just sell handkerchiefs. Like, mm -hmm. what do I want to fill the store out with? And leather was the first, first choice. And ironically enough, one of the other Hank people um, over in the EU, I think I posted the coin slip wallet, which was the first wallet that I made. Mm -hmm. And the same day, I, I think within like a couple of hours of me posting it, the other Hank guy posted a minimalist front pocket wallet, not a coin slip wallet, but still. And I, I sent a message out to him like, wow, great minds think alike. Who would have thought we'd both offer leather? Uh, and then it wasn't, you know, a few days after that, and he was talking in one of the, the groups that we're in uh, about getting a laser. And I had just placed my order for my laser engraver. I'm right. Like, Are we tied together? What's, <laughs> what's going on here? You've got um, a doppelganger overseas. Yeah. We, we both did camp mugs. We both did leather. We're, we both kind of are in the same handkerchief tier, you know, his custom printing. Uh, I think he does like a cork tag, uh, not leather tag, but I think he does a cork tag, microfiber backing. Uh, and then he's like branching into all the exact same stuff at the exact same time. Like there's, there's some kind of connected mind thing going here. Yeah, that's interesting. So the laser is something we should touch on too, because the way that this topo pattern and my logo are on here is laser work. And uh, I really dig it. I think it turned out awesome. Um, oh yeah, but you, uh, I looked at lasers once upon a time just because I was curious, right? Like oh, I would be fun to be able to put like my own knife into not that I would do it to my own areas without a lot of practice, but like hmm. put a titanium knife into my laser and laser topo pattern or whatever it is onto mm -hmm. the scale. Like that would be cool. And I looked at it and they're not cheap for any, especially if you want to do metal metal. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like a full on thing that you've got to purchase and then also learn how to use. It's, it's mm -hmm. not like you just press a button and it has loaded every type of pattern you could possibly want. It's kind of like a CNC in a way that you've got to like yes. program in a design. Right. So, um, was that something that interested you before starting the leather and the leather was an excuse for it? Or, um, I think it was something that came up because of the leather. So when I first started the leather, I was first making the coin slip wallets. Everything was 100% cut by hand. So I'd have a, a paper stencil. Um, I would trace everything out and then I'd pull the straight edge out and cut everything. Uh, and I very quickly, much like the handkerchiefs. So when I first started the handkerchiefs, I had just a, a run of the mill, like buy it at, um, Joann's um, <laughs> kind of sewing machine, you know, just like a couple of hundred bucks yeah. um, machine. And it very quickly 
I found out that it wasn't fast enough. It wasn't strong enough. It wasn't durable enough. So I upgraded to, you know, more of a industrial style machine. Same thing happened with the, the leather, the, my ability to take the time out of my day to, to make a coin slip wallet was superseded by the amount of demand that I had almost immediately for it. So again, there weren't a whole lot of coin slip um, options out there outside of just a standard coin slip, not attached to a wallet or not attached to an organizer. So when it hit the market, I had like 13 or 14 people that wanted one. Mm. Well, it took me, you know, 20, 30 minutes to get everything cut out, edges beveled, edges, edges burnished, and then another 10 or 15 minutes to glue everything and let it set and clamp it. And then another 10 or 15 minutes to, to hand stitch uh, everything. And I quickly found out that there wasn't a value that I could put on that wallet that really justified the amount of time that I was taking away from all of my other enterprises. Because at the end of the day, my my primary profession is my bread and butter when it comes to monetary gain. And to be quite honest, I don't think that there's it would take years and years of expansion for my handkerchiefs, my leather or anything else to replace the hourly income that I can get from, from my main profession. Mm -hmm. So I, I got to the point where I was thinking, how can I expedite the, the time that it takes me to produce this while also adding an edge that not everybody else has, you know, what's something that I can do that's different from, Mm -hmm. from the whole spectrum of people making things. So I thought, well, I could buy a clicker press and I could get dies and I could cut out the wallets that way. And then I could have a stamp. Well, that's what everybody else does. They have a maker's mark. It stamps on the wallet. They've got dies. They clicker press everything. I thought, okay, well, that's been done. What's something that people aren't doing every day? And that came down to the laser. Like, okay, well, I can get the laser. The laser can cut the leather. The laser can engrave whatever image I want to. I can do patterns. I can do this. I can do that. I can prototype new leather things. Um, so it just seemed like the, the most realistic and intelligent option to go forward to invest my money in something that you know maybe not everybody else in the market is doing other than the other hank guy Mm. i found out Um, (laughs) and then going from that so the decision to go with the laser instead of the clicker press and each one of them has their pros and cons to to weigh out Um, but going from just owning the laser to how do i implement this in a way where again, not everybody is doing it. And <laughs> fingers crossed. Uh, so the last time I did an interview like this uh, with Ricky and his uh, in his Instagram story, mm-hmm. I gave a whole bunch of these like trade trade secrets for my company. And I think it was within like two weeks, all of a sudden I saw like a whole bunch of new packaging pop up on Instagram and a whole bunch of new wax stamps pop up on Instagram. So everybody don't go out and buy a laser and start copying. <laughs> um, but it, it went from just owning the laser to how do I implement it in a way that other people haven't. So I thought, well, a, a service mats, a, a nice, easy task. Um, it's something that I can make. It's something that, you know, not everybody's doing and I can put my own twist on it. I can do all of these custom art images, these clip art images. I can do the, the special designs that make that service mat more that person's. So again, going back to the connection, you know, I have a connection with that map that I made specifically for you. So mm-hmm. like I, 
I went to a um, an SVG site and bought that topographical uh, image because I thought, well, if I'm going to make a map for Jake, it needs to embody, you know, his his hiking and his logo. Like it has to be him. Mm-hmm. So that's right into that same connection realm. It's like, I'm not just making a mat. I'm making something that a person's going to own. That's going to help to fulfill the image that they have of themselves and help to express the image they have of themselves to others in a nonverbal way. And that, that laser really helps to do that. So I have another guy that um, is just head over heels about, the Mandalorian and Star Wars. So I made a service mat that had the, the Mandalorian helmet uh, and I got into Photoshop and I made some image, imagery that looked like blaster scorch marks and I like really gussied it up. And then in the in the parts bin, I put baby Yoda, like hands on the, the bottom of the parts bin, just peeking over the top. And yeah, like it's his pod. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he saw it, fell in love with it, and he's like, I don't want you to post that anywhere. He goes, I'll, I'll pay you whatever you want. He's like, I want that. And then he no sooner bought the mat. And he's like, how about a wallet to match it? How about a coin slip to match it? Can you do a leather coin to go in the coin slip to match all of it? And again, that was one of those eureka moments where I just thought, this guy has been looking for all of these EDC items that fit him. The image that he has for himself, the um, the mental image he has of the interests, um, the things that he's interested in, and I was the only maker that he could reach out to, and his excitement just exploded into wanting to wanting me to make one of everything that I possibly could for him. And not only is that great for me in a business sense, but that's really great for me in like a feed your soul kind of sense, mm-hmm. you know, because you're going to lose interest in making something if you're not feeding your soul with it at the same time, you know, yeah. making leathers monotonous. It's calming, but it's monotonous. Sewing handkerchiefs is calming, but it's monotonous. Uh, it's probably one of the most boring things that you can do for a solid eight or 10 hours is just sew squares. You I know? don't know that I could do it for two hours and not your, your eyes glass yeah. over and you start drooling a little bit after I have some really good music on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the leather, the laser really helped me to make additional connections with with customers, with clients, you know, maybe future friends and and acquaintances on on Instagram through a an item that I made. And yeah. I'll continue to see, you know, every time that guy posts about his his Mandalorian stuff, or there was another guy that bought a John Wick mat. Uh, and every time I see that John Wick mat with his special coin and his Microtech John Wick special edition um, Ultratech um, OTF <laughs> knife, yeah. uh, every time I see that, it it gives me one of those um, just feel good moments. Yeah, because you you can see the connection that somebody formed with it instantly, and then I feel that connection because I I gave them something that they really really enjoy. Yeah, I imagine it's kind of like you're putting in, even though it's a product that you're selling, you're intermingling it with like this aspect of gift giving. Mm-hmm. Like it, it draws on that a little bit of love in it. Yeah, it takes that same kind of emotional pull. Like 
if I have given my brother a knife and I see that he has it in his pocket, that makes me feel good that he's carrying mm-hmm. the knife that I gave him and that he's getting use out of it. He's enjoying it or any gift, right? Like it's like the idea of for mother's day, like writing your mom a really nice card instead of her card, instead of just buying her something, because like there's a thoughtfulness and a, a, a personal mm-hmm. touch that comes from like, a handmade, like I made this for you, you know? And so the idea that like specifically for mine also, I did not commission you to make this mat. (laughs) You sent me a picture of my logo lasered on this green color and then sent me a picture of topo pattern. And you were like, I can make this for you. And I was like, tell me how much it is. Like I couldn't not have it once I'd seen that you had gone through the trouble of figuring out how to laser my logo and it's not like you coerced me into buying it in some weird Mm -hmm. way. Like I'm sure you wouldn't have been offended if I was like, that's really cool, but I don't need another mat. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't have hated me for it, but it was like it all of a sudden, even though I didn't need another one of these things, I needed to have it. It was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really cool that it could be, I'd seen really cool ones you'd been doing, but to see it as something that was like, so tied to me, it was like, Oh, that would be, so different from the mat I already have that I can absolutely justify that and have both and not feel at all bad about the expense of it. Yeah, Um, exactly. And that's tricky for me. If it's not knives, like there aren't many products that I Mm -hmm. buy repetitiously like that. Um, Okay, so we've talked leather, we've talked Hanks, we've talked Gungnir. The only product I have in front of me that we haven't talked about really is the camp mug, which is brand new. We can talk mm-hmm. about this for a minute and then we'll probably dive oh, yeah. into knives in general. Um, so where did this come from? So the, the, the camp mug was really just, you know, one of those, it's probably the, the only product uh, that I just thought, Hey, it'd be cool to have it. Um, Primo uh, Mason Primo, who is the guy that did uh, my logo work there. Um, did a fantastic job on the, on the imagery. And I just kept thinking, um, I, I kind of want drinkware with my, with my logo on it. And the, my wife and myself are in the process of, of rehabbing our two floor, um, exterior barn, uh, and putting some of her pottery stuff in there to do ceramic items. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what her specialty is. You've shared some videos to- of like your whole, kitchenware set in your house is stuff that your wife made and it's fantastic like really really nice she's incredibly talented and um you know i i would think of myself as pretty um i'm always trying to think of words that like doesn't make me sound like like an ass just sound Um, like a douche come on douches are welcome Uh, i would say that myself uh, that i am pretty talented when it comes to things, you know, I've made a bunch of, of really nice woodworking items, you know, cutting boards and specialty gifts. And you made my straw. I should have grabbed that. I left it on my my table. Um, You know, anything that I put my mind to making, I tend to be relatively decent at it, if not better than average with a little bit of practice. Um, But she is, is very, very talented as well. So she is a, an art and ceramics teacher. Um, so that's like, that's what she does, but her, her passion is really ceramics and she has just this immense talent that she doesn't really have a creative outlet for. 
mm. nor does she really have a dedicated space for it at this moment in time. So the enamel camp mugs really came from a point where I really, really wanted to be in a place where we could make the, um, the ceramic ones now and have my logo on it and have these like real nice specialty mugs that would match the ones that are, you know, in my, in my kitchen cabinets that we use every, every single day. Uh, but with the amount of time that I'm putting into renegade provisions and with my inspection company, I, I haven't had time to even get the framing done on the, on the building. Cause again, even though I'm working like 90, 95 hours every single week, I'm going to take it upon myself to completely rebuild a two floor building and refit it for leatherworking and handkerchiefs. And um, uh, I really need a spot that's bigger than my workshop now for QCing 300 and something knives uh, in a right. few months when they come in. Um, What's crazy too is you're not talking about like repainting and rearranging it there. You're talking about like completely gutting yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, like new windows, new doors, all new studs. Uh, we've got, I talked to the electric company about doing a new uh, 200 amp service drop for it because we're going to be running two kilns, a couple of ceramic wheels, um, one laser for now, but I'm planning on possibly getting a second laser um, coming up in the near future. So there's going to be a lot of equipment in there. And it's it's quite literally a full full remodel. It's like building a house with everything except for the outside. Yeah. Um, plumbing a bathroom. So it's, it's going to be a lot of work, but it, it really needs to be done because I've outgrown the, um, the office that I'm currently right. sitting in, which is not only my, um, plus in my Ohio, organizational office it's construction season right now. Right. Cause it if is. it's anything like Michigan, there's two seasons, winter and construction. That's, yes. that's the way that yeah, it works. We, yeah. we have completely gotten away from, from fall and spring. So I think we had three spring type days. It went from, like the teens to 45 or 50 degrees for maybe two or three days. And then it was 92 today. Ooh, that's hotter than here. And it, it's just like 80% humidity and 90 degrees or it's 30 degrees and, and frigid. Um, there's no in between. So that's, um, that's the goal is I'm hoping to by August have that building fully done um, all of my manufacturing stuff from my current office moved out there, her kilns set up, her pottery wheels set up. Um, and I'm going to try to learn uh, ceramics to, you know, add one more um, kind of merit badge to my my Boy Scout um, bandolier or whatever you call them. I wasn't a Boy Scout, so I'm not sure the nomenclature. I was technically a Boy Scout. Um, like I was part of a troop that a lot of my friends were in. It was kind of through church growing up. And then um, I was really into like going on the campouts. And so I went to like all the things we did awesome, like backpacking trips, all kinds of fun stuff, camping. And um, we'd go even to like the like scout sanctioned campouts sometimes at specific campgrounds where you're supposed to be like earning merit badges. And I earned quite a few merit badges, but there was this part of the process where you're supposed to like go to it's called a board of review. I think if there's mm -hmm. real scouts listening, they're probably going to be mad at the way that I'm <laughs> describing this. Um, but we'd go to like camperies and stuff and I'd earn merit badges and I'd like progress. Um, but the first rank that you earn is tenderfoot. And then beyond that, there's a bunch of ranks and ultimately then it's Eagle. Right. And so technically when you start, you're just a boy scout. 
you're not even a tenderfoot yet. And then you earn your tenderfoot like immediately. It's the easiest thing in the world. But you have to go to what's called, I think, a board of review. And I never went to those the entire time I was mm. in scouting. And through like all of my adolescence, I was in, I was a Cub Scout, then a Boy Scout. And I just never, like, I refused to go to those meetings because I didn't care about mm -hmm. progressing. I just wanted to do the fun stuff. So mm -hmm. I had, like... I, I had enough, I think, to be at least like a life scout or something in terms of like the things I needed to progress. But I wasn't there for that. I was just mm -hmm. like, I just wanted to throw tomahawks at stuff and build fires and do yeah. like wilderness survival challenges where it's you've got a hatchet and you have to be <laughs> out here for 24 hours. And like that stuff was awesome. But yeah, I, I'm not, I didn't have the bandolier either. <laughs> say <Yeah>. that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like I said, I, I never did it. So. I don't even know the proper verbiage to use uh, for it, but I'm, I'm always looking for that kind of opportunity to add add another skill uh, to the list. So that that's going to be really exciting when it uh, when it gets going, and it's going to be a whole new kind of chapter mm -hmm. in the in the renegade provisions side because right now I don't have the storage for 80% of the stuff that I want to do. Um, I don't have the room for 50% of the stuff that I want to do. Uh, and because I don't have that mixture of storage and room, it takes me an immense amount more time to to complete a task. So mm -hmm. if I want to make a batch of handkerchiefs, I have to go and track down the tote that has all the microfiber in it and all the cloth in it and all my sewing stuff. And then I have to pull the machines down and set everything up. You know, it's like it's 40 minutes before I can get any work done. And then right. the like two hours of free time that I have are gone. Yeah. Um, if you had a designated station, you could just yeah. walk up to it and start. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just walk up to it, get done, have it all finished. And then the same thing, you know, there were quite a few times where I thought, well, I can have, you know, maybe the missus can, can sew a few handkerchiefs for me today. Well, I've got like 12 Buffalo hides sitting on my craft desk where the sewing machine, you know, where it's supposed to go. I'm like, I don't have anywhere to move the, the Buffalo hides. Mm -hmm. to put that stuff up there so i'm still at a standstill yeah uh, so that uh that'll give me a whole new opportunity i can get leather work done without moving stuff in and out i can get cloth stuff done without moving stuff in and out i'll have storage for for everything and especially when the knives come in uh, that's going to be a huge deal because i'm wanting to buy a bunch of extra parts and bits and bobs uh, to kind of have just in case anything comes up and i'm going to need dedicated storage for for all of those things so it's, yeah. it's pivotal that i get it done you know in time for for the knife shipments coming in yeah i have no idea what that's going to look like for me yet but i gotta start figuring that out too because yep you no idea storage unit and start setting up plastic tables <laughs> might have to yeah what's crazy <laughs> yeah. is we've looked into so because of what my wife does we get sent product non-stop um mm -hmm. toys for my daughter and then like clothes and accessories and just stuff for my wife because a lot of what she does revolves around like promoting products on instagram mm -hmm. right so these companies just send her things and sometimes it's for a specific campaign we're doing that we need to shoot the like we need the prop basically to take the image other times it's just unsolicited like we hope this shows up in your feed so we're gonna send it to you kind of stuff mm -hmm. and we live in a fairly small apartment in a suburb of LA and like we, are, we've been maxed out on space for 
two years, you know, like mm-hmm. we, our whole carport is full, our backyard that's very small and paved, like apartment backyard is now just full of like tubs that are for storage. It's like, we, there's no more room to put anything. And so we looked into it. We're like, how much would it be for a storage unit? And it's like, it, it's just enough that it doesn't, it, it we're not motivated to get one because it's so expensive that it's like, we might as well move to a different, bigger place. And the difference yeah. would be the difference in rent. <laughs> like, it's kind of so, crazy. A storage unit here, a like 250, 300 square foot storage unit is about 50 to $65 a month. How, how crazy is that probably compared to you? your prices i'd i'd be able to get quite a few of them for what one yes. costs here yep yeah for to get a storage unit for that amount of money it would have to be like outside of the town we live in and mm. it would have to be a closet sized like li- like not saying that in a funny way like literally they offer some that are closet sized yeah that's what we would get for that amount of money and we'd have to drive like a half hour to a town that would have it that cheap yeah <laughs> No, thank you. Benefits of being in a small town. I have nothing to do, but everything's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've said it plenty of times. If my wife would leave the greater LA area or California at all, I would have been gone a long time ago, Mm -hmm. but I knew that from the get go. So I can't be mad at her now. Um, all right. So let's talk knives in general a little bit. Um, I know that Lately, we have had quite a few of the same things, not all the same stuff, mm-hmm. but you've had the Jaeger, which is up there on my list. You've got the Arius you held up already. You've had the Evo 2.0, I think mm-hmm. you had one of those. Um, yeah, a lot of knives that have been at the top of my list lately have been knives that you've had. So mm-hmm. do you have a current favorite knife? Um, outside of the Gungnir. I would say my favorite is the this soloist. big hoss here, the Olamic Soloist. Um, this one, of course, predates my acquisition of my own knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and this previous to the Gungnir was one of the biggest pocket knives that I had had. And it is, I mean, Olamics are just immaculately done. And this one, this one's flashy for my taste. So as you know, I abuse the the daylights out of my knives. So having something that has this whole entropic lightning bolt stuff on it is is outside right. of my wheelhouse. But it's crazy. I wanted one of these so so bad. Um, our buddy uh, MB uh, Wild had one, and I ended up working out a trade with him to get it. But I I was awake all kinds of hours of the night searching the the Reddit knife swap and the Facebook groups and the Olamic groups. And I was trying to find one of these that was just like kind of basic bare bones, like abuse worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't find one. So it just ended up, I was like, okay, Will, like what, or uh, MB, what do I need to, what do I need to do to get this yeah. in my pocket? Uh, and it just so happened that we, we could make a deal and and I got it. And it's, I don't think Olamic has made that many of the soloist. I think it's one it's of the like models that near impossible to find. I can find a rainmaker every day of the week, which is their other big offering, uh, mm-hmm. their non flipper tab offering. 
but when it came down to the soloist, I think I found one other out there that somebody was ready to sell and the price that they wanted for it was just so absolutely outrageous that I think I, I like typed out scoff uh, when they sent me the, the total because it was just Yuck. like, it was, I think 250% MSRP. Get and for, for a knife on secondary, you know, even a knife this good, I thought that is insane. And it was, it was exactly what I wanted. It was just completely bare bones, just like acid washed, bead blasted. Yeah. That was it. You know, just see what's crazy too is basic. Olamics in general in secondary value. I've owned quite a few. I've had three or four um, wayfarers. I've had a swish which I think you'd actually probably kind of like the swish. Mm. Um, and then I've got this whippersnapper now and every single one that I've purchased has been, if I got it on secondary, it has been below table on them. Yeah. Um, granted the soloist, like I already said, there's not that many None of them. Of them so that's, that's probably the deciding factor on that, but it's just weird for me to think of, having to overpay on an Olamic mm -hmm. because I, what's crazy to me is I think there are other knives out there that increase on secondary value or even just hold it that are much less worthy of holding their value than Olamics than are. Olamic. They make yes. phenomenal knives. Um, and that's always been kind of a head scratcher for me. It's like why people don't love their knives more. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those, they're flying just enough under the radar that they're not picked up by every single person that's out there. And I'm kind of happy about it in one way because I want more Olamics in my collection and I'd like to have a little bit more in my collection before the price goes astronomically so high that it's not right. reasonable to, to achieve them. So I think I've had, I've had three Wayfarers um, I had a whippersnapper for like two hours and then right. you know, it was just, it was too small, uh, too for, small for you. Yeah. Um, the swish, I really didn't try because once I got the soloist, like the soloist was the Olamic that I wanted. So I sure. tried the rainmaker and tried the wayfarer, tried the whippersnapper. I got the soloist in hand and I just thought like, this is the knife from them uh, that I want. Yeah. Uh, What's crazy to me. So I think an interesting point about that knife, I, my review of the Gungnir will be live by the time this goes live. So in my Gungnir review, I talked today about how I filmed it the same as the night that we're filming this. For those of you who are listening, the time doesn't make sense. Anyway, um, <laughs> so in that review, I was talking about how so many of the really big knives that I've tried have for me made too many like sacrifices for the things that I want a knife to do just mm -hmm. seemingly for the sake of being big. Like sometimes makers set out to like, we're going to make a big one this time. And then they make too many things about it big. Like it's overly thick blade stock. The scales are overly thick that it carries too chunky and brick like, and mm -hmm. it's just like unnecessarily heavy and all these things kind of add up to make knives not really work for me. Um, and the soloist is one that I find interesting because I think that's a big knife that is like, like I've already said, I love Olamic. I handled one, a couple of them they had on the table at California custom knife show. I think the last two years. Um, 
and I like Eugene. I make a point to talk to him every time I'm at CCKS. The first time I went to that show, I bought a Wayfarer from him at the table. Like, love those guys. Love going to that mm-hmm. table. So I handled the soloist. And I think there's two blade shapes. I want to say I handled both. Um, yep. It's got that, like, movable thumb stud, which is a cool feature. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot about it that was interesting to me. But the way that that knife feels in my hand, it just makes me feel like I'm a kid holding my dad's knife and it's not built for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's a big knife that is only for big people. Whereas yeah. the Gungnir impressed me because it's a big knife that doesn't feel that way in my hand. Like it, yes. I feel confident holding it and using it, which is where a lot of big knives lose my fill out my medium gloves real well hands. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it's interesting to say like that that feels like it's built for you because that's just an evidence that like yeah. it didn't so, work for me but that handle is so specifically huge soloist versus the the arius uh, it in, seems in so length. much bigger than that yeah and then the the one other place so one of the things i like the most about gungnir and one of the things i think that i've heard you know, you mentioned and MB mentioned and Ricky um, was just how thin it is for a big knife. And the soloist is really one of those other big knives. So I wouldn't say that the Arius is a super thick uh, knife, but we can see here, you know, the Arius is just a tiny bit thicker uh, than the the soloist. And even looking at something like the Jaeger is a little bit thicker, thicker. Yeah. than than the soloist which is that's a really amazing thing um you know especially going back to you saying you know a lot of people that build even knives that are smaller than this so you take ramon chavez you know his knives are bricky to me mm-hmm. uh, and i love his his design work the uh the 229 redencion is is an absolutely wonderful drop point folder Love but that it is, knife. Yeah. it is bricky. It does have sharp edges, the contours, you know, there, there are just some, again, inadequacies with it. Uh, when I look at the, at the soloist and I've, you know, made fun of your, uh, medium hands a few times, but when <laughs> I, um, I fill out extra large gloves really, really well. Um, when I hold the soloist, like this fits my hand like an absolute glove. So like you can see my my pinky finger is right up at the end. My index finger is tucked right in. You know, it just fits absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. And then I can, of course, choke up on this choil and wrap my finger around. And in the natural grip, so again, talking about jimping, boom, my hand's all nice and, and relaxed and stretched. And there's that jimping. Just Where it right wants up to there. Land. Yeah. You know, very similar to the Gungnir and the the kind of contour in the blade just hugs the finger absolutely instantly. Mm-hmm. And it's another big knife that the the middle finger flick. Uh, so I, I kind of reveled at one of the guys in your comment section the other day. He was like, Well, you're not supposed to hold a, a big knife straight up and down like that. It's not supposed to flip open. Um, Who said so? Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't remember what knife they were talking. Oh, I think it was the isotope uh, that they yeah. were talking about. The we're future like, well, is you, now, old man. You need to you need to hold it this way and let gravity swing it. I'm like, well, this blade is um, pretty darn big and it just flips, you know, right open. Right. Um, they just do such an amazing job at Olamic. Almost. 
There we go. <laughs> That's a chunky blade. It'll do it. Another chunky blade. Um, but even, even Olamic has, you know, when I, I talk about just that, like one thing that agitates me about it is this. The proprietary pivot. I hate, hate proprietary hardware. Like, I don't care what size thing that you throw on there. Yeah. So there's a T bit. Like, yeah, I think they're that making up. that change. I think they're phasing out because their thing, uh, the first few that I had was always they send it with the tool. And like, I had seen guys at their table at CCKS who kept the tool on their keychain. And mm -hmm. it was like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no. There's no way you're going to catch me keeping a specific tool for keys. one of my knives. Yeah. I don't want to carry keys, much less another thing for my knife. Right. And it's not so bad on the soloist because I've taken this apart a couple of times. And because of the finish that's on here and their, their finishing at Olamic is second to absolutely nobody. Mm -hmm. I have not found a better finished knife and their working finish is phenomenal. Like I've, I've used the daylights out of this thing and no snail trail, but back to the original point. Uh, one of the Wayfarers that I bought had a real nasty issue with centering and mm -hmm. that Wayfair, instead of having a captive pivot on the one side, it just had two proprietary screws. So and it was like two of their proprietary spanner. It's tools. like, okay. And it only shipped with one. Uh, but because I had the soloist, I had the second. So it's like tighten this side a little bit, tighten this side a little bit, tighten this side a little bit. And because the pivot screw was a mirrored finish, the first time that that wrench slipped, I took this $550 knife and thought, I just snail trailed the shit out of it and I'm going to have to take a loss on selling it, which mm -hmm. I ended up trading it, making a little bit on the, on the trade, I think in, in the end, but I was just so pissy about that. And one of my other favorite knives overall is the <laughs> same exact problem. Now I can buy proprietary hardware for it because Microtech does not ship anything with it for like 70 bucks. Yeah. They're stupid tools there's, are so there's expensive. Two, two different sizes of their triangular stupid hardware. Yeah. This is so close to being like, one of my absolute all-time favorite knives and i'm not sure if this cheap webcam uh, will pick it up but this blade has been tortured i have cut drywall with it i have done unspeakable things to this knife that would make most knife people cringe and it is held up to it but that stupid hardware yeah. just nixes so many points off of it for me have you seen so i've been hoping for ever since I had a loaner one of those quite a while ago toward the beginning of my channel, I've been hoping to either like have a unicorn deal pop up and be able to buy a Microtech sigil because I freaking loved it mm -hmm. or for Microtech to just start making more. Cause I really don't understand why they don't, because that's the best knife they've ever made. I like, agree. And I think most people who've experienced one feel that way. Mm -hmm. I like it better than anything that they have ever made. Um, but they don't, I don't know whether that's because of the relationship with Monroe or what, but Monroe Metalworks, I think is what his Instagram is. The guy who's the designer of the sigil. Mm -hmm. He's now making a run of like customs basically of those. And they're freaking 
incredible. I kind of feel bad for even saying something right now because I really want to buy one, but they're $1,200. So I feel like it's going to be kind of a selective market anyways. Um, But he's been doing these random little, like he'll drop a few spots at a time for these knives that are already in progress. And I've been just a minute or two late every single time and it's (laughs) driving me nuts, but he's doing great. Like the hardware he's doing, um, there's like three options and there's either brass, copper, or silver integrated mm-hmm. into the pivot hardware, like in the center. And it's like in the machining of the hardware itself is bananas. But yeah. on the side you're supposed to work on, it's a Torx bit. <laughs> um, and it's like, uh, you probably wouldn't want one because it's S90B and I don't think you love S90B, no. but it's they're unreal. And I have one buddy who's gotten one who I actually talked to and he says it's like night and day compared to the microtech version in terms of like fit and finish and action which that one's already crazy nice so i'm really hoping yeah. i get the chance to snag one of those yeah pretty much any blade steel with an s in front of it i don't want anything to do with yeah so and especially the way if it's s35 yeah i mean if you'd like we can go down that route i feel like i always I think we already have i think we already have yeah. Uh, so, in, in previous conversations, I think yeah. uh, I think you and MB kind of hit all the nails on the head that are that are possible for that one. Right. Yeah. It's funny. So uh, MB and I, he's come up a lot. We talk a fair bit, and uh, part of me feels a little bit bad and has felt a little bit bad because the episode I had him on, although it's been one of my absolute favorites, was very much like so topically focused that it mm-hmm. wasn't. It wasn't like a dive into him at all, which I usually would like to get out of my guest, you know? Um, And so we've been talking about it. And I think in the next week, we're going to shoot an episode. It might, it may be in a week or two. I don't know when it'll go live, Mm -hmm. but um, we're going to do a pretty interesting concept where we're going to talk about where the knife industry was about 10 years ago. Like, what won awards at blade show what were people talking about what were the materials being used all that kind of stuff and then we're going to try to project based on our own assumptions what 10 years from now will look like and i think it's going to be super interesting with his mind to Mm -hmm. to go down that rabbit hole so we've both started kind of researching a little bit and in that episode i'm also going to make a point to kind of dig into him a little bit as much as he's comfortable with because obviously he chooses to remain a little bit discreet um on the internet but um yeah that dude is such a wealth of wizardry (laughs) i love him so much oh for sure yeah it's um it it's rare to to find somebody that's kind of near our age uh that has that kind of knowledge and wisdom base and that kind of analytical mind um when, when I think of my kind of friend group, I'd say acquaintance group, uh, I've got a few friends uh, that are that are business minded people and and very intelligent, but I don't think that they quite run into the analytical. So I would count myself as somebody that kind of knows a little bit about everything. I can have a conversation with just about anyone and seem like I'm relatively intelligent um, mm-hmm. and not just a complete slouch. I would say that the fair amount of people that I deal with are specialists in one thing mm-hmm. and then don't know a whole lot about various amount of, of other things. Um, 
to to not try to throw somebody under bus. But one of my uh, friends, you know, I would say that I'm a pretty cultured person. I know a lot about you know music history and composers, and I used to be a musician for a great number of years. You know, I just happened to bring up they said a phrase. And I brought up, I'm like, well, you're just a modern day John Lennon. Or, uh, yeah, I think it was John Lennon that I mentioned. And they're like, you not know who John Lennon was? They're like, who? (laughs) I'm like, you're kidding me, right? I'm like, that's like saying you don't know who Phil Collins is. And the look of what the look of understanding was just like gone off their face. I'm like, you're shitting me. You don't know who he is. You don't know who Phil Collins is. I'm like, Peter Frampton, still nothing. I'm like, Eric Clapton, still nothing. And I'm just, what? See, I mean, I'm not the most cultured person in the world, but like I had parents who talked to me and and I, I don't know listen how to music and stuff. Like breathe and not know who Eric Clapton is. You know, right. like every every hipster in the world right now know who knows who John Mayer is, and John Mayer played with Eric Clapton. So it's like, by association, you should kind of <laughs> you think you'd pick up on it. You should at least like recognize the name, even if you don't know who it is. But uh, Will is one of the, or MB is one of those few people that, again, you can bring up any topic and he has a wealth of knowledge on it. And I've gotten, I've, I've, I've really had so much sustenance from conversations with him, both text and um, verbal, you know, we, we kind of hang out in uh, clubhouse every now and again and have very detailed in-depth conversations about photography and videography and Instagram and the human psyche and neural sciences. And, you know, there's, there's just such an immense amount of information that he can provide that helps in, in so, so many ways. It's, um, you could do a five, six hour podcast just talking about him, not even about knives, uh, and still just be kind of brushing, brushing the surface of, of oh, yeah. what that brain's got to hold. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of those. Uh, he's certainly one of the most rare birds that I've been able to access through yeah. this part of my life. Right. But there is such a like. And it's a special space the fact that I have access to people like him, like you, like each of the guests that I've had on my podcast so far and I plan to have, and then a lot of just friends who probably wouldn't even want to do a podcast, but who Mm -hmm. have gotten to know. um, I don't know. I've never been in a realm that makes people accessible like this one. And I say that mm-hmm. with a grain of salt right now because I'm also at a point where like I get so many DMs every day from people who think that I'm the most accessible person in the world and I try to be pretty accessible, but like I'm it's running hard. out. I'm, I'm running yeah. out of ra- railway here. Yeah. Um, and there there is a couple of very core groups that I spend a lot of time in and they are my priority and the random people, like it's getting to a point where it's like, I, I don't want to sound like a dick, but I don't have enough time. But like mm-hmm. we've mentioned already the grog and there's these people in it. And I feel like at least in my brain, because MB is the one who invited me to it from the get go. I kind of see him as like the, the spearhead of, <laughs> of oh, gun yeah. if you will. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I don't, it, yeah, the group of guys that have come together in there have been so, not just in terms of knives, but in like genuine life advice mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like sharing experiences and like, messing with each other and like it is it is an interesting interesting reality that that community has come from a shared Mm. like hobby as dumb as sharp objects (laughs) um to to kind of help people that are watching this kind of understand the the demographic of of that group you know with with us just kind of going through a election cycle something that we may have some people may have heard for the first time is a bellwether county you know a bellwether county is the is the demographic of people that most accurately portrays the country as as a whole the grog is the bellwether county of the knife world because we have such a complex demographic of people you know you have you have the guy that that likes the slip joints you know there's that's all he buys is mm-hmm. the is the classic slip joints nothing that's been made within the last 50 years is in his pocket and then you have a couple of us that are we want to try every single knife out there so you know people like you and mb and myself like we find out that we like olamic and then we want to own every single olamic to find out all of the goods the bads the uglies the brilliant and then the we quest. move all of those. Yeah, it's it's a quest to find Excalibur. It's the quest to find the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's there's this journey about it. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, a couple of guys that are content with knives in this price range and knives in in this. We've got reviewers. We've got YouTubers. You know, there's there's such a complexity out there that it's like if I want to pitch a product and I want to know. Is it going to to be a success? I post it in the Grog group and I'm like, okay, I just made this product. What do you think? And if seven out of nine people come back and are like, we absolutely love it. I'm like, I've got a ringer on my hands, you know? And And you also know that some of us would love to dunk on you. So (laughs) So if it's bad, we'll tell you. It's one of those, those groups where I love constructive criticism and I feel like it's something that's missing from, from a lot of groups because to, to use that old term, you have a lot of smoke blowers, you know, yeah. somebody that's just going to inflate you because they, they yes want to inflate you. Um, and they don't care if you fail because they inflated you beforehand. So I think that there are a lot of people out there that go into making a product or go into making a side hustle or a business where they've been just, their head's been so blown up by the people that are around them that are giving them just this false information that when it actually comes time and they fail, that it's such so much harder of a hit because they felt like it's the best thing that they've ever could have done up until the point where it just stops. Mm-hmm. And a group that will come out, you know, like I'm always changing my packaging with my my handkerchiefs. I'm never happy with it. I want to change it. I want to alter it. I want to improve it. And uh, the other day I had an idea for packaging, which so happens to be the way that your hang shipped. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure how you felt about it, but um, I posted a picture of it, handkerchief inside, the see-through window, the sticker, the wax stamp. And uh, Bob goes, well, what beef jerky company did you tear the label off of before you sent that? <laughs> Good old it was, bib. I love yeah, it. Yeah, 
it was it was one of those things i didn't take offense to it at all but he said it was like the kindergarten test for your kid's name you know like if i name my kid this i'll just use my name chris what what's the kindergartners going to say they're going to call me chrissy and christy and christina and you know that's that's what you need when it comes to to your close friends you need somebody that will give you something honestly um not care um I actually got a real big laugh out of your video the other day uh, when you were talking about your early impressions of, of <laughs> Gungnir. And you're like, he doesn't care about my feelings. He doesn't care about your feelings. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Yeah, it is. It is exactly that way. Like to some right. people that probably sounds harsh. Um, but to me, that just sounds honest. And right. that's something that we miss nowadays is that painful honesty, you know, where we'd rather just say a white lie because it's easier to to look at somebody and embolden them for a second than to embolden them for a lifetime right uh, and that that group the the grog group is just it's it's irreplaceable um yeah in that spectrum what's interesting too is like i i mentioned it again in my full review today i was like i think of you in that way where it's like you it, there's little regard for the other person's emotion when you're saying something because mm -hmm. the truth matters a lot to you. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in a way it's also more caring for the process that you just described. Like it's a different yeah. kind of care. And mm -hmm. uh, there's also this sense in that group that even though we have that culture in there where we can also like debate things openly a lot mm -hmm. and there's a lot of voice note debating. It's not just like keyboard warrior stuff. Like oh, we, yeah. are, we can go back and forth and it's all civil but it's constructive. And I think it also like, to me, maybe part of it is the way I was brought up, especially with my brothers. I'm the youngest of five kids, but I've got two brothers and uh, my closest sibling to me is five years older than me. So I was quite a bit younger, but I grew up to be the biggest in stature. So that's nice. <laughs> um, but like growing up, if in my house, if you weren't getting made fun of, you weren't loved like, mm -hmm. because that just means you're too delicate and no one wants to hang out with you. Like the way that we kind of showed affection was by jabbing at each other. And I'd like to think that made me somewhat witty and quick on my feet. I rarely find myself backed into a corner with nothing, no comeback or, you know, like that doesn't happen to yeah. me very often. And I think the grog is kind of that way where it's, it's created this space where because we care about each other, we can be that open. And I mm -hmm. think it, you're an example of that where like, I can give you constructive feedback because I, I want you to succeed and mm -hmm. you'll do the same for me. And that's way more meaningful than having oh, somebody sure. who's just going to, Oh, I love that. That there's, yeah, that's going to do amazing. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, they're not even looking at it. They haven't yes. even looked at the object for what it is. They're just yep. excited that it's mine. And it might even come from a place of sincerity where they just don't know better. And they're mm -hmm. just so blinded by the situation that it's like, I just, I can't help but pump this person up. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's not what people need sometimes. Yeah. You know? yeah and to, um, I know that a lot of us in the Grog group uh, are, are reading that book that I was talking about, The, the Boy Crisis. I'm in the middle uh, of it right now. It goes into that. Um, where it's, it's talking about, um, you know, fathers teasing kids and mothers thinking that it's that it's bad. Uh, and then that doctor, uh, he, he goes into, you know, that there's that constructive teasing, mm -hmm. you know, like you you as a father tease your your children mildly to 
help them understand what is okay, what isn't okay, what's inside the boundaries, what's outside of the boundaries, but also Your to toughen them do that up. for what's cool. Your parents yeah. do that for what's okay to do. Yeah. yeah. And that also toughens you up just enough that when you, he talked about in the book, you know, when a man goes into the business world, you'll notice that any successful man is in a, is in a, a circle of people. And most of the time, those people tease each other. And mm -hmm. the first person that gets defensive or upset about the teasing is then the outsider of the group. When you look at what's called the quote unquote death professions, you know, in the military, hazing and teasing is a huge thing in, you know, fire departments and uh, police, um, police forces, all of that, there, there's a hefty amount of teasing. And in the death professions, it's a link of trust. So if one person teases another and that person gets defensive and uppity or goes and tattletales uh, on somebody, there's a subconscious link that that person's less likely to sacrifice their life in the line of duty for one of their friends. Whereas if, you know, you can tease somebody and then they just hand it right back to you, you've now made a bond. Mm-hmm between each other. And I, I feel that same way in the in the group. You know, every time Bob tells me that my packaging looks like an old beef jerky container, I can take that teasing. I can hand it right back. I've grown because I know what his honest opinion is about that. So like that packaging is probably not a great idea unless I'm shipping beef jerky or M&Ms or something, <laughs> you know, some food based yeah. item. Um, maybe that's not the best idea. I've grown from it and our relationships also grown closer together from it as well. And the, I think the EDC community overall is pretty good, um, for teasing, you know, anybody that probably will recognize my, my handle in the corner of the frame, uh, if they've ever seen me in the comment sections, most of the time, my comments on your videos are kind of, you know, teasing, you know, you, right. you said something when you're explaining the, the size, shape and weight of a knife that you know, could have some phallic reference and I tease does. you by typing it in there. Like, right. oh, this thing has the weight and the girth in the right places. And I'm like, that's what she said. Right. You know, some people could take that as a, as a negative, but in, in good fun, a relationship can, can form and a bond can be emboldened by, by that kind of helpful or constructive. Yeah. And especially when it comes from a, a person that you already know, then <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. all the rules are totally different. Since I oh, for sure. moderate in the Millie Club on Facebook, one of the things I am way less involved in there than some other moderators are. <laughs> I'm barely hanging on, guys. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that will happen sometimes is a comment section will seemingly get kind of out of hand. And what we'll have to figure out is, are these two guys friends? Or do they not even know each other? Because yeah. then the context is so different for how a conversation is going. Because the way you and I would talk to each other in a comment section looks like hate speech, right? Like mm -hmm. it, is, it is not okay. Oh, yeah. But that's because we know each other and we know like everything is fair game. Mm -hmm. But if, we, if you didn't know me and you were commenting some of the stuff you do in my comment section... I probably personally would still yeah. heart it and just move on because I would be like, that's kind of hilarious that that dude would say that. But because I know you, like mm. it's super humorous. And so I think yeah. so much of it is contextual. I've gotten myself in trouble with that a few times where I think I know somebody better than I actually do. And I you say something that, yeah, it, it, it happens probably yeah. more often than, than I'd like to admit. Yeah. I mean, that's, and 
but I, I, I do that's, treat that's a better way of living the same than, way it's better to live that way though than to always tread carefully like mm -hmm. i think there's a i don't know i'd rather some people self-select themselves out of my circle if they don't like <laughs> parts about me than to like have them later blow up like you know it's just it's it's better to be who you are and let people see you for the renegade that you actually are rather than sugarcoat yourself at first and then open up later and you know yeah why waste you don't the get time? a name like captain captain savage for sugar sugar plums and gum dropping everybody definitely not um there's a particular c word that you absolutely adore oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll save that from your from your youtube channel. i'll have a chance of being monetized still yeah uh, all right so let's i don't know there's so many things that we could talk about um how about this so i've heard mb wild once again talk about how you would be the perfect person to hand a knife to if you wanted it to be torture tested for like mm -hmm. a week right just because of your typical daily use and i talk a lot about my daily use on my channel because i think that's relevant when i'm reviewing an object to talk about what specifically i've done with it and what expectations i have of it so like for me on a knife like the whippersnapper which i'd carry as a secondary my expectations of it are to handle things like tape and paper and cardboard and zip ties maybe an apple in a pinch um, but mostly around the house type of stuff the hardest things realistically being zip ties probably are mm -hmm. the toughest thing that it would go through um a lot of cardboard is going to have edge wear, but it's not going to result in chipping or anything like that. So that's like secondary knife for me. If it's a primary knife that might step up a little bit to having like some dual purpose of being a little bit outdoorsy so I can chop through overhanging stuff on a trail, or if it really came down to it, I could feather stick with it. And I like to test those like minimal, like a little bit on a, a knife that I'd consider a primary to make sure it's capable of those things a lot of the time. But for me, my uses are, are relatively limited in scope compared to some other people. Like if you're an mm -hmm. electrician, then your uses are probably pretty different from mine. And so mm -hmm. I always like to set the framework of like, this is what I did with it. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying it's good for my uses. Because mm -hmm. to say that it would be fantastic for an electrician or a plumber or a Marine, like I can't speak to that. I didn't do those things with it. So for you... I know you're super hard on your gear, but if you were to like kind of encapsulate what a typical, maybe not even day, but like a larger sample size, like in a week with a knife, what are some typical, typical tasks that you'd baseline be doing with a knife? Uh, well, same things uh, as you baseline, you know, opening boxes, opening packages. Um, when I'm packaging my stuff uh, here at home. So if I have a, a handkerchief order or something comes in when it comes to cutting the postal twine and cutting the craft paper wrapping, like I will typically use my knife and a straight edge uh, instead of using a particular paper cutter. Mm -hmm. um, so those are just like the general tasks that probably embolden about 50% of the use uh, of my knives. I'll use it to skive leather instead of walking across the room to get my, um, my Japanese leather knife, you know, I keep my EDC stuff just as sharp as my leather service tools. So might as well, it's in my pocket. Mm -hmm. um, but 
going into some of the harder use tasks like i planted a bunch of fruit trees i'll use it to to, to trim the burlap sacks and you know sometimes hitting the staples that are in the in the sack maybe chip a blade if it's s9dv or s110v <laughs> um maybe i'm in my hives uh one day maybe i forgot my hive tool so i had the uh, the vox f5.5 in my pocket the other day when i was servicing my hives and i forgot my hive tool in the in the building uh, and once you open up the top of that hive, like those those bees are pissed and you need to get done what you need to get done and get out. So uh, I used that knife to to cut the propolis and the uh, the wax that they use to bind the frames together. So I used I, it. To, I to definitely know what a propolis is. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I used it to cut that wax. And then because it's propolis is kind of like the glue. That the that the bees make um, mm. with wax and tree sap and all these different materials uh, that glues stuff together. Mm -hmm. So you cut the propolis and then the hive frames, the stuff that holds the honey and the brood and everything, it's still glued in there. You have to have something to pry it out. So mm -hmm. I'm sticking that f5.5 down in there and prying a 15 pound honeycomb out of the out of the frame. Well, that's you don't pry with a knife. That's like every knife guy 101. Mm -hmm. But that's a that's a task that might happen in my day to day work where I don't have the tool that I need. I'm going to use that the tool um, that's on you. Yeah, tool that's on me um, in my day to day job. If I find termite damage in a floor joist and I want to gauge the scope of the damage, I might stick my knife into the into the floor joist. See when I meet solid material. I've maybe there's plenty a nail. of those videos. <laughs> um, maybe I find a nail in there. Maybe I, because a lot of the homes that I'm inspecting are older. So they're, you know, rough sawn timber. Maybe there was an old fence line that was growing up into that oak tree that then became those floor joists. So you don't see the fence, but you jam your knife in there into some termite damage. And all of a sudden you hear some metallic crunch. Mm. You know, that's again, misuse of a knife, but it's the tool that's in my pocket and it saves me a trip out to my truck to pick up a carpenter's all or something like that to, to check mm -hmm. things. Um, I've been getting a lot of pallets in for stuff. So it's got kind of the one up from zip ties is that uh, one banding. Yep. Pallet straps. Um, let's see what else I use. I clean my fingernails with it like 10 <laughs> times a day. So it's got to have fingernail cleaning ability. Sure. Um, I would say those are the, probably the tasks that would most generally occur. Everything outside of that is kind of not the majority of times. Right. It's just kind of one offs, but, but I, you're I, always I, working on a new project. So yeah, there's constantly yeah. ringers. Um, yeah. So working on the, the building, you know, buying lumber, uh, in bands, cutting those bands off. I've been uh, stapling up plastic every now and again. You get a staple in the wrong spot and you got to pop it out of there. Uh, depending on the knife that I've got in my pocket, like I'll use it for that stitch or sigil. Um, it's been used, like I said, for everything. It, mm -hmm. Cutting drywall. When I get gung near back um, from you and I get to work on the building, I'm going to put it through every bit of torture that I possibly can. Um, and when I was torture testing that, I was batoning wood and I was chopping hardened walnut husks and smacking stumps with it, dropped it on the ground. You know, like I'm I'm trying to to abuse it because it's going to be uh, my knife. And if 
if I'm going to mistreat it, I know other people are going to as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think to answer that question, that's probably the, the bulk of the, of the stuff that I'm, I'm doing with it. I'm not typically the person that cuts his food, uh, with, with my EDC blade, just because I know the places that it's been. And sometimes right. no amount, no amount of cleaning. Um, you know, if people would have seen the pictures that I shared in the grog group today about the house that I was in, they probably wouldn't wear the same clothes a second time, nope. <laughs> much less use their knife to, to cut food. So I don't, yeah. uh, I don't, I'd have burned the boots I went in there with for sure. Yeah. I, I considered it. <laughs> so with all that said, let's talk steels a tiny bit we don't okay. have to go crazy on it, but like the sigil you have, that's an L max, correct? Mm -hmm. L max. And then you have the Arius, which is M390. You've mm -hmm. got the Soloist, which is also M390 or 20CV. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what else did you hold up? No, I'm drawing a blank. But it's it, mostly M390 family of steels. Yeah, I would say the mass majority of, of the knives that I own are either 20CV LMAX or M390. And I would mm -hmm. say out of, out of all of the steels that I have tried, um, that LMAX, 20CV, and M390 are pretty close neck and neck for, mm -hmm. for my day-to-day -day use. I find that I, I can maintain those blades. I don't have to sharpen them crazy often. They've got a good amount of wear resistance. They've got a good amount of corrosion resistance. So, like, mm -hmm. I don't find that anything that I'm doing is outside of the um, the sweet spot of, of those steels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. When I think of you, I feel like just because I see sometimes photo and video evidence of the crazy things you're doing with your knives, I always think that, like, for you, toughness would be a, a huge deal. Like, crew wear, mm -hmm. 3V, Z wear, something like that would be, like a very renegade steel, but it's interesting to hear you like start that whole list of what you do with a lot of it is very edge retention focused still mm -hmm. like cutting paper and string and packaging and zip ties yeah. and going through leather. Like <laughs> I imagine mm -hmm. scoring leather and stuff. That's also probably not very much of your blade. That's pretty tip focused, right? Um, when it comes to, to shaving, I use the belly. Uh, so oh, okay. say if I'm, say if I'm gluing a mat together, You've got it up in the thing. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So typically if I'm making a mat and I glue stuff together and there's just a little bit of an edge here where one piece of leather is sticking out over the other mm -hmm. and I'll just take the, the knife and just kind of shave that mm -hmm. little edge off. Um, which is one of the reasons why I like hollow grind so well is especially with leather like i don't want to be throwing um i don't want to be throwing a chavez thickness through here you know when you're talking about the spine of the blade right um, i want something nice and thin and and precise but it has to be absolutely razor sharp so that when i'm pulling it across the the edge the grain of that leather i don't want to have it just dull enough that it like digs Skips. in <laughs> Yeah, or skips or phrase something like it needs to be absolutely razor sharp. Mm. And with a lot of those general tasks, like you said, when you're, you know, cutting tape for a box or you're cutting postal twine, um, you need to have a nice, nice edge uh, right. on it. So I really like crew wear. Um, I think I've only maybe had one knife that's 3V because um, I don't find that very many of the knives that have 3V are 
design wise, um, maybe up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have one of the new Civivis coming in in the the Nitro V, mm-hmm. the Imperium um, that that Brad reviewed today. Um, so I'm I'm excited to try it. I know it's not like the same level as as M390 and LMAX and 20 CV, but I'm I'm really interested to see, you know, what it's what it's all about because it's been it's been a little while since I've had a Nitro V blade, and I don't remember liking that design mm-hmm. and using it hardly at all. Yeah, so I have the Ferrum Forge Stinger in Nitro V, which is way too small a knife for you, but I really, really like as a secondary. Um, and that thing has gone super strong for me. And then I have my new CJ Miller custom kitchen knife is in Nitro V, and that mm-hmm. thing is phenomenal. Um, I've just dropped it so far, and it's it strops really, really well, which is mm-hmm. great for me. Um but yeah, super good for that application. I'm excited to see that we and Civivi are using more Nitro V. I understand that yes. I think Ferrum Forge had uh, something to do with that decision-making mm-hmm. process because they pushed for that steel for knives like the Stinger. And now we and Civivi are using it internally, which is cool to see. But yeah, it's interesting how like certain steels just get latched onto. <laughs> Um, yeah. and and they like encapsulate a time almost like there's mm. a d2 era and an 8cr13 mov era and then there's this era of like interesting cr steels like 9cr blah blah, blah and 14c mm-hmm. 28 like there's like these those steels that are very difficult to remember <laughs> the names yeah. of because they're just a conglomeration of letters and numbers. Um, but then there's that S35 VN era, which is having trouble mm. dying. And now we're in kind of an M390 era where it's like, yeah. that's the base minimum. But oh, you mean we're not in the S45 VN era? Interesting how that just, it, as soon as it came, <laughs> so <laughs> wasn't even the top. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I haven't had any real personal experience with S45VN yet. I've only had it on the Spyderco Pochi, mm-hmm. which was a joke knife. And I added to a charitable giveaway at some point, yeah. um, a charitable raffle thing on a Facebook group. But um, So is there a steel that you haven't tried ever that you'd be interested in trying? Hmm. I don't think so. Um, I think, I think I've done enough research on, a on a lot of the steels, you know, we've, we've got the knife steel nerds that really just quite literally spell everything out for you. So you can literally cookie cutter, whatever steel that you want to try knowing your use case, mm-hmm. uh, and avoid all of the, all of the waste. Cause it's like, I know that I like the M390 class of steel with the LMAX and the 20CV. I've got a couple of D2 and A1 tool steel um, fixed blades uh, in my mm-hmm. in my drawers, and they always have a tendency to rust because they don't have the the corrosion resistance. But you know, for a long, long time, uh, when I was doing a lot of hunting uh, every year, uh, those were always my go-to knives because you could process an entire animal uh, and not mm-hmm. have to to resharpen. Uh, but then you just had to make sure to oil it after you got done cleaning it so it didn't rust by the time you went out to hunt again a couple days later. Right. Um, so I feel like for the for the steels that are out there, you know, I actually will take that back. I want to try the Magna Cut. 
Yeah, uh, that's the one. that's the number one that's, on my list right now. That's uh, I think that's the only one that I haven't had in hand. I haven't had the chance to try, uh, and it just kind of came to mind. But from from what I've seen of that steel, that's going to be a really interesting one to to try out. And over the next couple of years in in EDC, I think that we're going to see a big shift in the in the steel that the low end knives. So with the Civivi putting out the Nitro V, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot of those really, really budget steels move way up. Um, I feel like the bar just moved up 10 or 12 spots yeah. with that, where all of the other budget expressions to sub $100 knives are going to have to, to bring a little bit something more to, to the table. They can't right. just have something that's like moderately stainless and holds an edge for the first two boxes that you cut anymore, mm-hmm. um, which I think, and we've, we've talked about this in the grog time and time and time again about, you know, how I, I seem to put off an air that I hate bench made. <laughs> um, and, and really in actuality, it's just that I hate that they're still using S 30 B on absolutely everything that they put out. I think that the the high-end knives having the popularity of the M390 class steels and now the budget knives coming out with Nitro V and mm-hmm. other expressions of, you know, really really good steels which I would put Nitro V above S30 and S35 VN personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's going to promote more of those higher-end steels coming out of, you know, companies like Benchmade, which I think what didn't they do was it crewware on a Adamas? Yeah, which I couldn't have been more proud of them for. Yeah. <laughs> I was really, really yeah. glad to see it. And that knife was good. I liked it. I had yeah. a loaner of it and uh I was impressed with it. And the fact that they were like, this is a, a tough like folder. This is kind of an overbuilt tough type of knife. We're gonna put a really tough steel on it. Mm-hmm. That I think that's great. I think if they look at their lineup in that way, like that's a really good thing. Like the new bug out that's carbon fiber and S 90 V. I think that's a good pairing for a bug out an ultra light knife. That is like, that's not a bruiser, a a steel that's potentially a little bit chippy, but does have very good edge retention. That's acceptable for me. It's it's an Amazon box warrior dream. And so I think if they, if Benchmade plays that game some more, if they mm. look at the model for what its properties are, and then they pick a steel for it that makes sense based on that application, why isn't that what's already happening yeah. on knives? Why yeah, is it I've, a copy paste of this is the steel we use? We're just going to put it on everything. There's so yeah. many options. Yeah, they they bought it in bulk somewhere and just had to use it up. Um, I've told a few people because I I've been pretty outspoken with my my discontent with with Benchmade in a few a few groups and even in the Grog group they brought up you know it's like you know I'm I'm a blue collar worker like why don't I like Spider Co and Benchmade uh, mm-hmm. more um, and I would make the argument that I I really like both of them for what they're doing in the price realms that they're doing them like I loved the Benchmade 940 when I owned it. But the problem was, is I bought a 940 and the first thing that I wanted to do was spend twice as much money as the original blade cost to buy a reblade in M390. Mm-hmm. I was like, the blade looks better. I know it's going to function better. It's just all around cooler. Like I'd love to have 
this $170 940 with a $300 M390 blade on it. Mm-hmm. And I just found myself wanting that with, with basically everything that Benchmade had. Now, Spyderco has done an absolutely amazing job with taking literally every seal known to man and throwing it on a PM2 and a PM3 and a name it. They, they've done it. <clears throat> um, but I, I own two pair of twos already that are just like so so destroyed that yes, they, they barely are. Want, I've seen them they, they barely want to open uh, I actually I pulled one of them out uh, today because I was like well maybe I'll stick it on the desk we might talk about them uh, and then I was like no nah, I don't want to show anybody that I mistreated a knife that bad uh, but my blurple um, my blurple S110 S110V the tip of that blade has been so overused. I was, you know, for a long, long time, I was in uh, contracting before um, going into inspecting. And my Blurple PM2 has cut more linear feet of drywall than a lot of people's utility knives have. Uh, And because of that, it looks like a blunt tip weapon. (laughs) It just, the whole tip is worn off of that S1. It would fit in pair of three scales now. It's the blade length has come down enough. It's been sharpened down like somebody that didn't know how to use a workshop belt. But I love it. I did it with work, not, not improper sharpening. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of those things too. Like I love spider co and I love the PM too. So that's a good thing for me because that's probably my favorite spider co at the end of the day. And that's the one that they give all the attention to in terms of new steels and colors and all that fun stuff. Yeah. I also love the shaman. I, I really like mm-hmm. the pair of three. Um, and a lot of their other models that they come out with, I, I like, I rarely end up keeping them long-term, but I have the bombshell still. That's not going anywhere. Love me some danger pickle. Um, but yeah, I would love to see a spider co do more of that really cool steel treatment on more models, which I think they will moving forward because the dealer network is starting to play with exclusives more than just the PM2, like the mm-hmm. Swish Bowie just coming out again, and um, Spider Co bringing out the or Blade HQ redoing the Rock Lobster and M4 like that mm-hmm. had been discontinued a long time. But these dealers picking models that they like and then putting new cool steels and configurations on them, I think is going to be really fun. But I wish other uh, like other makers, <laughs> other people like spider co that aren't spider co would just play that game a little bit, you know, like yeah. why is it that Benchmade? it's a big deal for them to have finally put crew wear on a folder. Mm. Like they've used S 90 V and M four a little bit. And then they've used S 30 V a ton for the last yeah. years, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, if spider co can, then other people can too. That's yeah, usually sure. what I come to. Like if somebody's yeah. doing it, then it's possible. And even if no one's doing it yet, then and it's probably still possible that that Spyderco is doing it. I mean, they they make a bunch of a bunch of knives, and you know, if I didn't already have and I hadn't experienced everything that a PM2 had to offer, I would probably be out there getting the the sprint runs as well. You know, like um, a couple months ago, I bought the M390 version of mm-hmm. the PM2, and I had it in hand for again just a couple of days. And I was like, you know what, I've really, I feel like I've used 
a PM2 to the absolute breaking point of the knife and then brought it back and then used it to the breaking point again. Like I don't have anything that I can learn from this knife. Mm. So I sold There's it. There's new and, things out there. So why? Yeah and, yeah. and got a different, different knife. And that's just my exploratory kind of mindset, but that definitely doesn't take away from anything that Spyderco is doing because they, they are really trend setting the market in that class of knife with, with the things that they're, they're putting out. I kind of wish that like if they offered uh, more PM2s with something other than, than G10, you know, straight from the factory, you know, like if they offered more micarta options, if they offered more brass options where I didn't have to, I hate taking apart and putting back together liner locks, mm -hmm. especially the Piter, the spider coat, the Piter with the, the, with uh, the freaking pivot tube that's flared, the, the pivot tube and the, the lanyard, uh, hole in the back. Like every time you got to take apart a, a PM2 to put new scales on it and you got to like twist and twist yeah. and twist. The lanyard tube is what I meant. Part. That's the, it's the worst part. Yeah. It's, it's just the worst. And then I, for a little while was doing scale swaps and blade sharpening early on in my EDC journey. Uh, I bought a wicked edge, got really proficient at sharpening it. And I had so many people sending me in spider codes. They were like, Hey, can you do a scale swap and acid wash on the blade and then a resharpen? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Well, I needed to buy like bulk supplies of scale screws because mm -hmm. the, the pivots like Loctited beat just the they locked tight the daylights out of them but you yeah. couldn't have broke it loose with a blowtorch and i actually got to the point where a few of them i would take like a a hot rod and heat it up with a blowtorch and like stick it into the the t-screw head just to heat mm -hmm. where that loctite was up just a tiny bit to yeah. break it loose instead of stripping the screw out every time i i hated that they're getting better about that they're using a lot That's less good. loctite and I hope that they get away from the flared lanyard tube because a, I'd rather there be no lanyard tube. I hate lanyards mm -hmm. on knives. I'm never going to use it. Um, but did that yeah, come out your gung near review? Like get rid of the lanyard tube. No, because yours is out of the way enough that like yeah. I honestly I've trained myself to not even look at them when yeah. if they don't get in my way, then I just it is what it is. But if it ever gets in the way of click mm -hmm. placement or of ergos or like if it's taken priority over anything else then i yeah you know. um so i yeah, actually I'm, received one message on on instagram i think it was the day that i announced young near uh mm -hmm. somebody messaged me and they're like is it too late for you to remove the the lanyard uh, lanyard hole and i was like yeah it, it's it's kind of too, too late. late. Like yeah. I made a design choice that I'd like to stick with, but I, yeah. I just got a chuckle out of it. Like somebody's like, yeah, you need to remove the lanyard, the lanyard yeah. loop there. I mean, lanyard loops, tubes, whatever are a pet peeve of mine. But at the same time, a lot of my absolute favorite knives have pretty distinct ones. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, and, and this is even one that I would say gets in the way potentially oh, of the clip. I'd, and I'd love a flat on the back of the the areas like a um a lanyard if the, if the scale um, just went where that lanyard tube is i bet it wouldn't be hard it. for somebody to make an aftermarket backspacer with just a flat on the back it just fills it in yeah because it the backspacer is just so so simple you could That's just 
just get that thickness right and the screw holes lined up and just a flat on the back. Yeah. So what has, I talk about the areas seemingly every single chance that I get. Um, what has your experience been with your areas? It's, it's been absolutely phenomenal. It's probably one of the best made knives that I have had in hand. No question. <laughs> yeah. Like the, um, there, there's something admirable in, in somebody that makes pretty much one product and they do it so absolutely well that it's, it's the talk of an entire genre. It's, mm -hmm. you know, when you talk about the knife world, if you mention Arius, it's one of those things, unlike apparently Phil Collins that everybody in the knife world knows, um, he, I haven't experienced any of the early generations. You know, I watched your videos talking about, I think it was the gen three or the, mm -hmm. the gen two, you know, where there were just a couple of, of things that weren't quite up to snuff. Um, but this gen four that I have, um, which I think is batch three, if I'm not mistaken, is just absolutely phenomenal in almost every single way. Um, Mine's Gen 4 batch 1. If you look inside... Mine's batch window, 1 too. Yeah. Gen 4 batch 1. Twins I was actually... I was just pulling out my phone to, to look in there. Um, literally twinsies. My phone There's, hasn't died yet. I'm still trying. <laughs> again, when we talk about finish. So I think that Olamic's finish is just a skosh better than, than um, Koenig's. But with the amount of abuse that I've put this knife through, I can't see one snail trail on the clip. And if I look at, you know, like my Brian Brown knife is, is beautiful, but even this stupid um, uh, webcam can pick up <laughs> the massive snail trails that I have on the clip. Right. Um, my, um, my Pena right there on the bolster, big old snail trail. Mm -hmm. um, my Microtech snail trails everywhere, but it has that apocalyptic finish. So the snail trails just look like part of it, you know, <laughs> part of it. Um, but the Olamic and the Arius, neither one of those have a snail trail on them, which yeah. again, I'm crawling in crawl spaces. So I actually had my, my Arius in my pocket uh, day before yesterday, and I had two crawl spaces to inspect that day. Both of them had like driveway limestone underneath them, which if you ever like picked up number 57 limestone, it's like sharp edges and pointy. And I'm like army crawling on my belly through a space that's just big enough for my shoulder blades to skim the bottom of the floor joists. Um, and, and the clips on these knives are are dragging in the dirt. They're getting snagged on nails. They're dragging across, you know, fiberglass and vermiculite insulation and, you know, all kinds of dirt and, dust and, debris and nasty stuff. Yeah. So to have a knife that has been in my pocket for weeks and weeks worth of time on end, especially when I was doing my, my full review of it and to not have a snail trail on it is again, going back to, mythology there is is a form of wizardry the 
the finger hole with the with the fuller. I mean, talk about a knife that is absolutely effortless to open mm -hmm. and just fits so well. I love this groove uh, going out of the fuller and into this like eagle eye kind of raptor bird of prey look. Yep. And then even the swedge is hollow too. Yes. And it's, it's not just a flat yep. swedge. Um, the, the other thing that the, I mean, it just fits the hand so, so immensely well. And I think the only thing that I had to complain about in my review of it was the, was the frame lock. So they have the jimping on there, but there's no chamfer on mm. that. So when I press up against it, it is absolutely functional. You know, there, there are no issues with it. I've got thick calluses on my hand. So a couple times, no issues, but I drive like five or six hours every day in between appointments. Sometimes when I'm at appointments, like I may flick this knife open and shut it a thousand times a day. Like these <laughs> knives get a workout with the pivot. And at the end of the day, that spot on my thumb is kind of dent, like the callus is dented in. You can actually mm. kind of see it just right there. There's a little, little mm. red mark where the, the callus is dented. Um, I just wish that there was like a tiny little 45 degree chamfer right there, mm. just like a zip and done. Um, and that, that was one attributing factor to why I made sure 100% that there was a chamfer on the, on the bolster lock of, of Gungnir. Mm -hmm. Like no matter how soft the edge is, or if you have a little mild chamfer, like you need enough to just cushion the meat of your thumb. Just, just enough. Always want to cushion the meat. Yeah. You got to cushion the meat. And I mean, Brian, um, with the, with the Jaeger, I think he, his is one of the more comfortable that I have because he has totally. a deep chamfer right there on this frame lock. I mm -hmm. mean, you don't feel pressure against your thumb when you operate the lock of this knife. There's nothing. There's no, there's no hot spot. There's no pinch point. It's just absolutely easy to use. And uh, same thing on the sigil. So the sigil has that gripped texture but they've mm -hmm. got a little chamfer right there where your thumb goes which takes away all of that discomfort but for for an all-around knife a hard use knife to only have that one issue to talk about is is phenomenal grind fantastic tip is incredibly strong the mm -hmm. the geometry of that tip um, with those loaded triangles is just amazing. Yep. And you, you can tell that he has spent years and years perfecting this one knife. Right. And yeah. Then, I think it's going to be interesting at blade show in a couple of weeks now or a week now. Um, a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, with the mini areas coming out, that knife coming out, with all that's been learned already with the areas, mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see if it's, oh, yeah. if, it, if it can be this good because like I don't, this knife is so, so good in my gen three, honestly was so close to this. 
The mm-hmm. biggest difference was honestly, if I put any pressure on the lock bar, it was just much more sensitive to that. This one, I can yeah. press hard on the lock bar and it deploys yeah. no problem. Yeah. That one, it would seize up if I was pressing that hard on the yeah. lock bar. Um, and then they've done little things like flipper tab geometry has changed just slightly, adding of jimping on there, like little odds and ends, like internal milling is now standard. They didn't used to be all internally milled, stuff like that. But I mean, it's, yeah, it's such a borderline perfected mm-hmm. Not <laughs> I just, every time, like, even though it does some things like this lanyard tube back here, lanyard hole that I will never use and don't want, it's still for some reason because it's part of the areas and just because I'm so used to looking at this knife and then drooling while I'm doing that, mm-hmm. I've grown just like, yep, I'm okay with it because it's yeah. part of my favorite knife, you know? Yep. And uh, would I rather it didn't have that? Yeah, of course. But then I'd be like, I'd it, look different, you know? Like I just, I love where this knife has gotten yeah. to. So I'm super curious to see what people yeah, say. With, with how good the the areas is so i'm not a small knife guy um and i stupidly passed up on a mini goblin at one point in time uh that was offered in trade for um i think my mini impulse mm-hmm. uh, my bureau um impulse mini and i should have taken it but i was just like i'll never use that knife that knife's way too small uh for me um but kind of like mb it's it's one of those knives that's kind of hit the top of my list Right He's now. about to have one. I sold him mine. So, <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Um, I w- I've actually been uh, considering putting my. Uh, I've got two Jaegers. Uh, I've really been considering putting up the other Jaeger as as trade bait for mm-hmm. a a goblin because I think there there's somebody out there that might have a goblin that just really wants a a Jaeger. Um, there's a lot of people that want a Jaeger, so if it's yeah. possible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I searched high and low and then somehow in like two hours time went from zero Jaegers and searching everywhere for him to owning two. Sometimes <laughs> that's the way it goes. That's just the way it works. Yeah, that's um, like with my Quantum, which by the way, I think is a knife that you would absolutely love because of its size and just the properties of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, I had passively been kind of searching for one, but didn't necessarily have the money to throw at it right away, but was like, yeah. I'll see if there's a good deal kind of thing because it's $1,100 knife retail. Um, then out of the blue, I happened to see as it got posted in the Facebook buy, sell trade for Shrogorov, I happened to see like the moment it went up some dude in Canada who listed it for lower than I'd ever seen one go for. Mm-hmm. And so I jumped on it. No questions. I was just like, put on the credit card, I'll sell something else and pay it off. Right. And so I did that. And then literally like the next week I saw one post for the same amount of money, even maybe like 20, 30 bucks less. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's crazy how that happens. I didn't buy a second one cause I didn't need a second yeah. one, but I sent the link to all my buddies and uh, thought if anybody was interested, they should grab one. But yeah, yeah it's like is on my, uh, is on my list as well. So I haven't decided which one I want to try out yet. Um, but I, I need to try one at yeah. some point. They make some that are even bigger than this. This isn't a huge Shiro. This is fairly docile for them. They make some crazy yeah. big stuff. So 
I feel like also they make some in LMAX, they make some in M390. They do play with like S90V and stuff, but mm-hmm. most of their knives that you'll see that aren't like their custom division or whatever yeah. are typically going to be M390, um, yeah. which you would love. So yeah, the only thing that I don't, um, the only thing that I don't particularly like about the the Shiro's is the the MRBS mm-hmm. um, not being caged, so them just right. being you know free floating. I don't deal well with tiny little intricate things. Um, so with with all of the years of, of contracting and probably some of the, the terrible childhood that I went through, I have really bad, I'm not sure if the, the camera will pick it up, but my hands just, they shake constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it comes to like tiny little screws, if the if the bits and stuff that I have aren't fully magnetized, like sometimes I'll I'll drop them or I can't get them in the calluses don't help either. Cause right. tiny little screws and ball bearings. It's just like specks of dirt. That's with your, you're with your giant hands. Those screws yeah. are even tinier yeah. for you than they are for me. Um, so I can just see me going to service a Shiro for the first time and losing about half the bearings uh, that are in there. So mm-hmm. I might have to make a special service map that has like three inch sides that come up to hold everything in. Plus, you'll either uh, need a proprietary tool or you'll have to be fine with sticking a penny in your knife. So. Uh, it looks like a flat bit, uh, just a regular flathead screwdriver. <laughs> you could, yeah. The little yeah. ones might be a little trickier, but I'm sure you've got tiny flatheads. Oh, I and do, yeah. If you took, like, I've got um, some deer skin chamois that I yeah. use to protect blades. Like, if I'm sharpening, I put it in the vise. I'll put that uh, mm-hmm. so that the clamp isn't right on the blade. If you took a little piece of that, and then put that on the end of your screwdriver, you'd be fine. Yeah. Keep from plastic dip some of my flathead bits. There you go. That could work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm I, I know that I'm gonna try a Shiro probably in the near near future. Um yeah. but yeah, I'd say a Shiro and the the mini goblin are probably the two that are on my on my list to acquire right now. And outside of that, since since the Gungnir prototypes came in, I've noticed that my appetite for new knives has kind of lessened just mm. a little bit. Yeah. I've been in this phase where I, my appetite definitely hasn't lessened, but I feel much more choosy, I guess, mm-hmm. than I feel like I've ever felt before. Um, I, mostly to like, I get offered a, an exorbitant amount of loaners mm-hmm. and I have too little time to get through all of them. So it's very easy to say no, because I buy too many of my own knives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like this month I got sent the Demcos. And so I've got this 80, 20.5s to do reviews on. And um, I had the chance to get the ProTech run early. And so like, those are kind of direct from the companies. Sometimes some I'm paying for, some are getting sent to the channel, but like, I'd rather do that than take a loaner for sure. Oh, or sure sure wouldn't. Um, yeah. But yeah, plus I'm just like buying things that I really want. And so, I don't know, I'm just in this space where it's like, I just feel very particular about what I'm even willing to bring in. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to podcast this coming week with Brandon, Everyday Minimalist. And I want to talk to him about that because we're really different in that way. He yeah. He's very like, this is what my followers want to see. And so mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to make a video about. And I just don't, Maybe that's the wrong way of thinking. That's a, that's a pretty big self-sacrificing uh, attitude there for him. You know, like yeah. this is what my followers want to see. Maybe not what 
you know, like maybe he didn't want the Benchmade Gold class, but his followers wanted him to have the Benchmade Gold class. So I think I think you know, Benchmade was, wanted him to have the Benchmade Gold yeah, class. More than likely, that's what happened. Um, Which don't get me wrong, if Benchmade wants to start throwing Gold class knives at me, I'll make videos too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. too proud for that, but I, I'll abuse the the daylights out of a out of seven hundred dollar gold, gold yeah. class Benchmade for him. Well, a Tangu flipper, which I already yeah. gave a lot of crap to in my review of the non-gold class one. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I think there's definitely, it's not even that I don't understand why other like content creators look at it that way. And they're probably right to look at it mm. that way. I just don't have it in me, whether it's pride or uh, yeah. I don't know what it is. I just don't have any desire to like oh because people want to see all the new civivis that come out i'm going to make a point to get every new civivi that comes out i do i yeah. if they gave I, me every civivi i'd be bummed that i had to make that many civivi videos yeah. it's not interesting I think that, um i think that you're just not so de self-deprecating that you're willing to subject yourself to that kind of torture like the whole the whole point of this is for it to be fun right you know like the the reason that people would rather watch your re review video than a, a Nick Shabazz is because you have an excitement and an interest and an explorative mind about the the knives that are on your channel. You're not just reviewing a knife because it's in the in the lineup, you know. And a lot of other reviewers are are like that. They're like, okay, this is knife. Uh, uh, this is a knife, uh, uh, one nine three, and uh, it yo, it's uh, it's a nice knife. And uh, here are the specifications uh, of said knife. Yeah, here's it's it's this long and it weighs this much, and here's it up I'm against glad the rack too. And the, yeah, you know, it, it, there's there's that review cycle for for everybody out there. But again, if if I'm not having fun doing something, I'm probably not going to do it unless it's something that's giving me a monetary gain. And mm -hmm. YouTube and podcasting and Instagram, whereas they're immensely fun and you can make some money from them. Oh, well, I could have a lot more fun and, you know, do something else and make way more money. Right. So you, you have to have that counts. level of fun and enjoyment for it to just, to just make the content. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like looking at, other content creators. I'm so glad that there are tabletop guys and I'm so glad that there are people who will buy every new, everything that comes out or have it sent to them or however it works. So they're reviewing all the new stuff because mm -hmm. it's just like, I don't know, like the, to me, I do, this is what I consider my job, right? Mm -hmm. Like YouTube, the podcast now being part of it. Um, this is not my primary income working with my wife and doing her content creation is what actually puts the bread on the table but like mm -hmm. this is a side hustle at the very least and i have been full-time at it for a long time now and the money is important that does come from the ad revenue and all that but like it's not enough for me mm -hmm. to want to do it in a way that i wouldn't enjoy and yeah. i feel like if I do that, then my content would also start to suck. Just who yeah. I am as a person. I think other people have an easier time with that. There's other mm -hmm. people who can say, please like and subscribe every video. I can't do it. I like yeah. it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. And it's I that whole it. like 
salesman thing that uh, that makes you feel kind of a skeevy. Yeah. I know that we've had this conversation in the grog, um, and I think Bob made fun of me a couple times because I outsource a lot of my my inspection business. You know, like I could be making an extra so many thousand dollars a year if I did um, if I did termite inspections instead of outsourcing it. I could make considerable amount more money if I inspected septic systems and if I did this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. But I hate to be that person where somebody calls and they're like, we want you to do an inspection. And I'm like, okay, I've got you booked for an inspection. And now you also need this service and this service and this service and this service. Mm-hmm. And this is why you need all of them. Well, we don't really want one of all of them. Well, you need it because I offer it and you need right. to give me your money. Like I just so much more appreciate the somebody genuinely wanting something from me enough that I don't have to sell it. And that's that same thing with YouTube. Like if you want to watch my YouTube channel and you enjoy the content that I make, you're going to follow it. You're going to subscribe to it. If you like it, I don't have to sell you into it. Like I'll continue to make content for you and try to keep you happy and do my thing and try to keep me happy. But I'm not going to be like, I'm the best YouTube channel ever subscribe, like share to your friends. Right. You know, it, it, it just feels skeevy to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, by no means am I at a a stretch of the road where I'm like, I see an end for making knife reviews. I'm certainly like, there's a lot more of that that's going to be happening and I'm not to the bottom of knives yet. I don't know if I ever will be. Um, not with all these designers popping up out of the woodwork. Right. But what's been interesting has been starting the podcast. Cause now this is episode 23, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is totally different from making oh, gosh, the knife yes. content. And I love doing this. So I think even as like, as time moves on, if I have to reallocate some of my time, like say left concepts takes off to a degree where that demands way more of my time. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing that and I'm taking my wife's content and I've got my own content to shoot and I want to do the podcast, like that there may come a time when I have to cut back to a degree. And then maybe it's like, instead of daily videos, it's one or two a week and the podcast but what i can say certainly at this point that like i'm not willing to let go of is definitely the podcast because it's Mm -hmm. so much fun and it's like yes it's been one of the most beneficial things for me not just like for the content that comes out of it in fact they're definitely not my most viewed videos or Mm -hmm. like even when you add all the listens across podcast platforms, like they don't perform incredibly well for me, but the things that I learn from the people I get to sit down with and have these conversations, it's invaluable. Um, Yeah. And you do your podcast. You've got, it's just the renegade EDC podcast, correct? Mm -hmm. For those who are listening and want to check that out. How many episodes have you done on yours? Um, I think 11 or 12 um, and I haven't posted a new episode since January 20th, I think. Slacker. And it, it's it's surprising that I I still get messages a couple of times a week. Um, Brandon uh, just popped up a message in the in the grog, you know, like, hey, your podcast great, you know, a good good listen. And I get people all the time like, I love I love having a podcast. You know, there aren't enough of these things out there. And I'm like, I haven't posted since January. I'm not sure. I've heard every episode of yours. But yeah, it's been a while. Um, but it it's something that I 
I really, really enjoyed doing. Um, it was definitely a creative outlet, like you said, is just, it's different than everything else. It's different than posting something on Instagram with a little typed out snippet. But again, and you know, like you said, if, if Luft Concepts takes off, you're going to have to allocate your, your resources. Um, last week, this week and next week, I'll be putting in about 95 hours all, all three weeks in a row. Take and a lot of mate. I've I've made a couple of YouTube videos. I've I've made Instagram content, and that's ninety five hours for my day job. So that doesn't include the the leather mats that I've made, or shipping out handkerchiefs, or shipping out mugs, or talking with the companies about some of the production items that that I have coming in. You know, like if I were to quote unquote be clocking in and out um, of that time. I don't sleep very much. Mm -hmm. And the, the podcast was probably one of the most time intensive things that mm -hmm. I've done. You know, when I, when I did an episode, I had kind of like a pseudo script uh, written out. So it wasn't like, I'm not reading it word for word off of like a teleprompter, but I have like, this is the talking point that I'm going to start with. This is the talking point that goes into this. This is the segue that goes into this, you know, kind of try to keep me regimented mm -hmm. and on, on topic. Because as we've seen in this podcast, if my mind is left to go uh, on its own whims, I could go in three different directions in one question. And then See, I love where that. I was in, in the beginning. Um, Come so with me. Each, I'll end where we podcast, are. Like, you know, 15, 20, I think a couple of them were 30 minutes. Uh, the one with Will or uh, MB was like two and a half hours about photography. And it's probably been one of the most um, praised episodes that were I in there just one. because yeah. just because MB, again, is is such a brilliant person to talk to. And he's one of those people that, you know, you surround yourself with the people that you want to be like. So you you put a really smart person in the room and you have a conversation with them and it makes everybody else seem like they're a little bit smarter, too. <laughs> and I definitely felt like that, you know, like he, he elevated my conversation. Um, but for for every 15 or 20 minute episode, I bet I probably spent about three to four hours. Regimenting what was what was going to be said. And the the one podcast that I have recorded that's sitting on my computer right now is about patina mm. and i never did post it because the it never flowed right like i felt mm. like the information was there but it just didn't fit the the form the mold of the podcast that i had done before it and then right about that time when i made that one and then didn't post it was when my business just went through the through the roof and ever mm. since then it's just gotten worse and worse and worse when it comes to time. And then now I found out that one of my competitors is, is uh, closing up shop. So now I've got like all of my business and all of the realtors that used to use him are now like my phone rings off the hook, mm. you know, 15 hours out of every day. Yeah. The blessing um, is the curse. Yeah. The blessing is the curse. So like I, I'm remiss to, to complain about it because I'm, like, yeah, I want to be creative and I want to do something interesting and I want to do something fun. That's not like crawling through the excrement that's under somebody's house. Um, but at the same time, I feel incredibly blessed that that my business can be the way that it is. 
but I, I definitely want to get back to to the podcasting. I've got uh, I probably have a hundred note cards in my uh, in my briefcase that are just all like you know conversations that I would like to have. And with I do feel a little bit stonewalled into the EDC realm with the the podcast because there are things I have probably. I probably have 20 note cards in my briefcase that are just talking about the boy crisis, that book, mm. which yeah. I think that I could probably talk about that and it'd be appealing to the EDC crowd, but you kind of have to watch out what kind of tree branches you go off on. Cause yeah. again, I can get out of control pretty quick, but um, yeah, I want to get that going a little bit more and we'll probably take the opportunity um, as I get closer to the pre-order of Gungnir uh, in July where I'll do you know, some of those things kind of promote it and talk about it and maybe lean into some of the, the Norse mythology uh, branches uh, that yeah. went into the thinking of that knife and the little brother of that knife that uh, will be the next one in the line. I love it. I think it's interesting. Like, I don't know. It just, it resonates with me. The fact that you were like, I'd like to do an episode just on the boy crisis, but I don't know how it would be received. And it's mm. funny because I have those same thoughts a lot. But as you said that, hearing it from you, I was like, no, no, no make it. And then just yeah. say in the beginning, like, hey, this isn't going to be super EDC focused. Yeah. This is going to be about this. And then people can either listen or not listen, which is generally yeah. the way I look at it. But I still sometimes have that like reservation. And I've done two episodes of my podcast solo now. And mm -hmm. the first one, I was like, it, it just came from... I had dropped the ball on getting a guest lined up and I just, there happened to be some stuff going on that I was like, yeah, I can spitball about this. Let's just talk and see what happens. And mm -hmm. then I really enjoyed it. So I did a second one and I spent the first like 10 plus minutes talking about the diet that I'm on. Yeah. Um, there was some knife dialogue in there as well. Um, but yeah, I think as time goes on, not because I'm like, self-centered or i think that everything that i say matters so much or like there's no element of that to it more so like how cathartic it is i plan to do more solo episodes and talk about a lot of things that mm -hmm. have nothing to do with edc and i think having thought about it as what i would respond to you now i'm just gonna like yeah. i'm just gonna shamelessly like title the episode like this is not edc and then i'm gonna start by saying mm -hmm. in the first 20 seconds hey look this is not going to be edc yeah. related at all it, it might tie in somewhere because i'm random but it's not going to be what this is about you you look at all of the big big ish youtubers and then big big youtubers like you you talk about peter mckinnon um who just about anybody that's probably watching this probably heard of him and he's mentioned in so many episodes where He's like, well, I started the Pete's Pirate Life because I felt strong-armed into just one thing with my Peter McKinnon page. Mm. And I started this because I felt strong-armed into this one thing. And then you look at um, Taylor Martin with Best Damn EDC. Mm -hmm. And he felt like so in the niche of doing his like behind the desk, this is what I do three episodes a week, that like this is what this is just it. That he started a whole nother channel to try to like build and promote and monetize and work at. And you know, like that's a second full-time job to, yep. to do a second channel. I'm finding that out with the second Instagram profile. Like 
just logging over and responding to all of the other things and then logging back to the other account. I'm like, oh my gosh, as this yeah. gets bigger, like it's not going to be sustainable. I've posted on still- my personal Insta like <clears throat> two times in the last year, probably. Yeah. It yeah. just doesn't. I post but, daily, except for today, because my phone is broken. It's the first time I haven't posted to Instagram. It's about yeah. to be midnight. That's not happening. Yeah. Um, but that's the biggest complaint out of all those those guys is they're like, you know what? We love making the content that we make, but we feel so stuck in it that we can't be creative. And that's that's something that I never want to get into. But at the same time, you want to appeal to your your base. And I had that problem when I uh, so. At the beginning of last year, right before the pandemic, I made a big switch from just cigar and whiskey with kind of like my EDC strewn about. So it's like the focal point was my whiskey bottles and my cigars Mm -hmm. on my Instagram. Uh, And I had like 2,500 followers at that point in time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm done with this content. Like I want to move on to something else. And then it just became like 100% EDC with like a cigar in the corner and a whiskey or something like that. And my viewer base was so off put by that, that I lost like more than half of my followers mm. within like 30 days. You know, everybody was like, we don't give a shit about knives and pry bars and handkerchiefs and guns. Right. Like we don't care. So everybody was gone. And then I had to rebuild from the start because I made this shift. Uh, so, yeah, kind of talking it out, it, it just makes sense that maybe my podcast shouldn't be 100% EDC all the time. And I should just do something to tie the various interests into EDC in maybe some way, shape or form. You know, like most people in the EDC world are probably male um, with a few females in there that are interested in it. You know, the boy crisis is probably pretty useful to the the mass majority of people. I think that my Instagram profile is like 94% male. So yeah, like obviously the that's same. the demographic that's that's EDC oriented. Right. Yeah, so, I think yeah, I should just go for it and and do the content that I want to do. Yeah. Uh, like it's funny because from the get-go like choosing the name bearded gear and not like bearded knives or bearded EDC or like I wanted to leave it open ultimately to like if I get more into like bushcrafty gear and start doing mm-hmm. more like little solo trips and stuff, like maybe I'll want to review that type of gear. Maybe I'll want to make content that's still gear focused, but it's not about knives. But like right now I'm a knife review channel. That's what 98% of my content is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I don't know. I think it's better to just, go yeah. with what you actually want to be doing because otherwise yeah. it becomes Hiking such a chore fanny packs hey i've know, done that bushcraft hats yeah I've you know done you're, those. you're really just put you into <laughs> i've got a uh i got a badass axe coming next week and i'm gonna be featuring it on my my edc page and that's good the first person that's like well you can't edc an axe i'm gonna make a a shoulder sling and i'm gonna carry it into walmart <laughs> do it um, yeah, you'll end up on people at Walmart and it'll be epic. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, yeah, all the way along, I've had the mentality of like, if I make content in a way that I don't want to be making it, then it's not the point anymore. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> unless there's a significant amount of money attached to that, then maybe, yeah. maybe I'll be able to bear that. I've worked jobs that I didn't like, but, um, 
yeah, I, I, I think it's possible in this realm. It's probably not the quickest or the easiest way or whatever that may be, but I think it's possible to do it in a way that comes naturally and feels natural and to become successful at it, regardless mm. of what that definition of success is. For me, it is tied to money, but if I can get to a point where I'm a knife designer and I'm a content creator, like that would make me really happy and <laughs> I'd feel fulfilled yeah. with that. But there will have to be a balance between the two worlds and whatever else is happening in my real life too. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there are a few, few YouTubers out there. I guess I think about it that do a broad spectrum. You know, I think of someone like Talon Sai or mm -hmm. say, I mean, he's got a, a broad assortment of things that he does on his yep. channel, you know, van life, guns, guns. <laughs> anymore uh, electric skateboards and, yeah all kinds of stuff yeah on there and very successful until youtube's recent um deplatforming of him right um but yeah just about yeah, finding I, that right uh it's it's probably right not the right thing. idea for me to try to become a gun channel now that's no it's <laughs> the wrong time for that no um, i stay monetized with but that. yeah like if i get a new bicycle like yeah, I'll do a video about the new bike that I got. And what's interesting too is some of my most viewed videos are like my trail running shoe reviews mm. <laughs> because people research that on a way higher level than people research knives. You're reaching yes. a bigger audience at that point. Uh, so I'm not <laughs> my putting... uh, my biggest video that I ever made. Uh, I think it's still live on my personal channel if I didn't delete it already. Uh, but I four years ago reviewed a cigar humidor um they're called a winador uh, made mm -hmm. by new air um and the last time i looked at that video it had like seventy-one thousand views Jeez. and then you looked at any other video that i had on the channel which was reviewing cigars or whiskey yeah. i'm going like in depth in detail about like the 30 flavor notes that this scotch has and they had like 60 views yeah. And then all of a sudden you see one that's like pushing a hundred thousand um, just because it was a review of something that people wanted to see. They wanted an honest review about it. And once it got 10,000 views, it seemed to just like blow right up. Yeah. Yeah. So, my yeah. biggest video by far is my knife tricks, the how to do my knife twirl. Yeah. And that's over a hundred K and last, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, I guess PewDiePie did a video about knife tricks and he didn't feature my video in it or anything. He featured like some blade HQ videos, I think, and, uh, or blade show or whatever. And then uh, my comment section that day lit up like, Oh, here after watching PewDiePie, Oh, this guy's tricks are cool too. Like all this random, yeah. all of a sudden there was another boost of traffic on it. And I was like, yeah. apparently I need to make another knife tricks video, but need to I don't some new tricks, bro. <laughs> I just don't like making videos like for the outcome, I guess we're coming full circle on this, but like, I don't want to make a video because I think it will get a lot of views. Yeah. I don't want to make it because like the, because should be because I want to check out that knife like, mm -hmm. or that piece of gear or whatever it is, because I think that long run keeps it authentic. Um, just like negative reviews, keep positive reviews authentic. Like mm -hmm. I think if the gear that I'm bringing in is stuff that I actually want to check out and I'm not just like, Oh, because this got sent to me for free, I'm going to review it. Like, yeah, I'm just going to accept the stuff that I want, even if it is for free, I'm not going to take in like, you know how many weird DMS I've gotten on Instagram from random 
tiny little like we're a tactical knife company like yeah. we'll send you whatever products you want it's like nope delete you like awesome your... knives best yeah. best damascus knives it's, ever. it's captain damascus ricky's over there sending yeah. dms from his burner accounts oh man so we've gone for over three hours right like yeah. three hours and 22 minutes right now um any other topics you feel like we should definitely go over? I, I feel like we're going to end up podcasting together again. This won't be the last. Oh, I think for sure. I think but... for sure. Uh, no, I think we, I think we covered, covered just about everything under the sun. Pretty good amount of ground. There's one thing I realized I neglected to ask when I held up the collaboration, Hank. Um, in my unboxing, I couldn't remember, and I haven't looked up since. Partially because, as I mentioned, my phone is not working right now. Um, is there somewhat of an ETA I can tell people on at least loosely when these will be for sale? Couple weeks. Um, Couple weeks. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm hoping to to probably have everything done and ready to go within within a couple weeks. Sweet. So like end of June ish. Oh yeah, yeah. We should be definitely uh, by the end of June, if not maybe sooner than that. Killer. I love that. All right, cool. Because yeah. I didn't, I knew it was like relatively soon because it's been, we've been working on it for a while. I sent you the artwork, you started passing me designs. Like that's all been yeah. going on for a while. But I didn't want to, it's better if it comes from you what the timeline is because yeah. I'm not dealing with any of the work involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, and there, cool. um, there are going to be a lot of handkerchiefs available very, very soon. So I actually have, a whole pile of of samples here so we we looked at mando mm -hmm. and deadpool, deadpool and fenrir oh epic for those people that like norse mythology a bunch of different anime stuff and lord of the rings get the balrog and gandalf and like the gray directionally challenged here <laughs> it's hard on Streamyard. one punch man uh, i've got a couple of those uh, i wish i had some samples of the other star wars stuff that was mm. coming in uh, but here's another one that i think is going to go oh, gangbusters yeah. uh, there's so many people doing joker knife builds right now and like yes. mod projects and stuff it's huge yeah i'm not into purple so it, it misses me but yeah Yes. Thunder Mifflin's coming back in. Uh, and then we've got uh, some some collaborative stuff that'll be coming as well. So I've got some stuff for the pirate crowd and the the ocean people. Awesome. And then bringing back the Lord of the Rings map. Yes. Middle Earth. Another, um, yeah, so we've got seven collaborative Hanks. Uh, that'll be coming out uh the brian brown uh jaeger handkerchief should be done uh, within a week or two um i'm gonna need one of those <laughs> yeah um a particular guy in the community that makes a a really really awesome coin that happens to be in like all of my instagram pictures there's a collaborative handkerchief that's coming out with him uh as well and maybe a uh maybe a coin drop um oh, okay with that as well uh, Primo and I've got a collaborative design that's coming. So I think overall, 
there are 31 designs in my recent fabric order. Goodness. So there will be a lot of handkerchiefs and the wife's um, wife's just about out of school. So she'll be able to help get things going and moving and out. So, just don't let her package bibs order. Yeah. She won't be packaging <laughs> bibs order. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, killer. So Chris, before we depart for the night, <laughs> because it's crazy late for you. Um, it's about to be midnight for me. That puts it at almost three o'clock for you. Right. Yep. Yep. Fun times. Um, Oh, I, I was looking at it like it's a half hour later than it is. You're right. All right. Um, before yeah, so we go. I've, I've only been up for 23 hours. Child's play for you. I've been Child's up play. for 14. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you're watching on YouTube, I'll have links down below for Renegade EDC, Renegade Provisions Co., everything that he's about to say. But for people who are listening, where can they find you? What are the best sources or places where they should look for you, look for products you make, look yeah, for um, naked pictures of you, whatever it is? No nude no nude pictures <laughs> out there. I think that if if someone in the grog shared it, there's probably a, a crotch shot out there somewhere. There's got to be, yeah. <laughs> clothed, clothed. Um, clothed. Um, uh, renegade.edc on Instagram is basically my personal uh, account at this point in time. So it's just all the stuff that uh, what whatever whim uh, I post on there. Renegade.provisionsco uh, is the new face of the store. Uh, so all of the store announcements are going there. That is completely devoted to products and um, everything Renegade Provisions Co. Uh, Renegade EDC on YouTube and RenegadeEDC.com is the physical website uh, where you'll be able to find the Gungnir waitlist. Uh, so anybody that signed up for the waitlist, you will be the first people uh, to be alerted to the pre-order. So before I um, I formally announced that the pre-order is is going on, all of the people that are on the waitlist are going to be the the first people to be notified. Uh, so if you if you have interest. Um, in getting that knife that's probably where you need to go because as it's getting closer and closer to that uh, mid-july pre-order uh, i originally thought that you know maybe half of them would pre-order and i'd have the other half that i could just buy and throw up on the website um, but thankfully and i feel very blessed for this but it feels like more and more and more it's really approaching that order quantity um, that i had set with riot so I think you're going from being a safe bet to get one to like, you might be risking it if you don't sign up for the wait list. Killer. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. I'm on the wait list and I'm getting one with the wire clip. And if anyone tries to get that before me, they can come catch these hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So renegade um, EDC is basically where to find you and renegade provisions co. Um, Awesome. Anything else people need to know about you before we depart for now? Um, I'm sure they'll get it in the in the next episode. And uh, I, I think there'll probably be a pretty long podcast coming out that uh, will probably go a little bit less into like the, the knives and the EDC and more about like the behind the behind the curtain, uh, if you will, uh, about me my my lifetime journey that brought me to the point where i am now so i think that there will be um i think that'll be an interview with uh, mb wild um as well he's been pretty interested in in kind of finding out 
what what made the android the the android and um i i think that that'll probably be a pretty emotional episode um mm -hmm. because there are a lot of things that happened to me in my childhood you know not very great upbringing that i think people will probably be surprised with because i would say not a ton of moderately successful people have that kind of upbringing or family life but um you know that'll be a lot of fun to do uh with uh with will that's awesome man i look forward to it and will is perfect to to oh, be the kind of gosh, moderator yeah. in that space yeah. counselor psychiatrist <laughs> he's who uh, i'd call interviewer. Yeah. yeah he he's the he's the whole shebang i love it well chris thank you so much genuinely for coming on I, yeah. I really do yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. you inviting me. Yeah. And I appreciate that you're letting me work with you on a Hank coming up. I appreciate that you let me check out the gung near. Um, it's been a privilege to do so. And I do not want to send it back to you. I'm planning to have it in the mail tomorrow. So um, awesome. I can't wait I, to have it back because I know <laughs> I literally only had it in pocket, I think four days. And then I was like, I, I got to send both of them out so that people can see it in a relatively decent amount of time. So I'm, I'm going to be ecstatic to have it back in my pocket, especially with the new colorway on it. Yeah. So, you're going to love it. So Killer excited. Man. Well, sweet. Thank you so much. And everybody who listened all the way through over three and a half hours of this, thank you so much. Um, again, this has been episode 23 with Chris of Renegade EDC slash Renegade Provisions Co slash beekeeper slash podcaster slash all of the above. Um, this has been a lot of fun and we'll see you on the next one.